Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm John, a.k.a. Tyler Durden. The first rule of High on Horror is you don't talk about High on Horror. No, we got to talk about it so people can listen to it. You got me there. (laughs) This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. You know, maybe we should get like a High on Horror soap, though. That'd be pretty tight. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like I keep getting those ads for those like Sasquatch soaps all exactly. the time. Exactly. And just get the HOH logo on there. Just slap that on there. Yeah, throw it out to some listeners. That'd be awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> today we're discussing the film May from 2002. This movie almost made it in our Love Gone Wrong episode, but we decided that it needed to have an episode on its own. Uh, and we were lucky enough to get the director, the super talented Lucky McKee, to join us and let us pick his brain. He's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview today. May really doesn't have any haters that I've seen, and the movie's been out for about 20 years. I've been a fan of it uh, since it came out, and you know the truth is there's two, two types of people. You either love May or you haven't seen it. So if you're listening, odds are you're a fan, and if not, hopefully we can convince you to watch it after listening to this episode. Uh, and to start us off, we're going to walk through this week in horror history and get a little stoned as per usual. All that and more today on High, High on, on horror. horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. And now it's time for Strainwreck, the segment where John and I discuss which strain we're getting wrecked on in each episode. The perfect way to start off every episode. Uh, actually, right now, I got the bong loaded with some of that Sub-Zero Gushers. John, what do you got for us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had to get that Pringles pop. Uh, I got some of that Lemon G Sherb. Oh, nice, nice. I nice. don't have much of any information on this, but uh, it's like 20% THC. I don't know why I went extra on that smell with it. But it definitely it definitely fits the name. It's got some lemon smell to it. All right, let me check it out. Oh, yeah. It's very fruity. It smells like pine salt. Very lemony. Has that pine salt scent to it for sure. Um, What did you say was in here again? Oh, that's Sub-Zero Gushers. We've had that a thousand times. It's always good shit to have. It's Finish good it. shit to have on deck. Good shit to have on deck. Uh, if you're able to... F- Honestly, if you're able to finish that for one hit on that, that would be impressive. <laughs> oh, dude, lung power. I, I, no way. Um, okay, so let's talk about current events. Uh, so Fede Alvarez, the director of the Evil Dead reboot and uh, Don't Breathe, has announced. It's been and, announced. Uh, he wrote um, Texas, new, Chainsaw. Yeah, t- 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 uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Correct. The Netflix 2022, one. 20, <laughs> specific. Um, yeah, he, uh, he's doing the next Alien movie. 20th Century Fox announced that in 2023, he is doing Alien. Uh, as of right now, the title is Alien, so I'm guessing it's going to be another requel type of deal. Um, did you hear about that? How do you feel about that? I, I did hear about it. Uh, I like, I like Fetty Alvarez, so I'm interested, but then I think back that, yeah, I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but there was some problems, and I'm like, but he did, like partially write it so the parts that were best were probably the parts that followed what he wrote honestly <laughs> we're just being biased as fuck Possibly. oh the good stuff was all fatty the bad <laughs> shit was everybody else that's kind of ignorant but we did just do that <laughs> uh, but i mean fatty alvarez does have a track record, he's good so. yeah um so look i mean the way that i see it is like it can't get any worse right or it can't be any worse than where the where the alien series has gone i mean i wasn't a fan of prometheus alien covenant sucked uh resurrection sucked 
not a fan of three. Uh, only the first two are any good, you know, but I'm always going to be down to try a new alien movie. Same thing as Prey, the new Predator movie. Like anytime there's a new alien movie or Predator movie, the fanboy in me, the young fan that used to watch them growing up is still going to say, fuck yeah, I'm going to watch it, you know? And I mean, both series have already sunk to complete lows. So, I mean, like a, a, a new movie really can't hurt the series. I any mean, hopefully it's an improvement. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, I love alien. I like alien more, more than Predator. Oh, definitely. I used to like Predator more as a kid, but when I got older, I... Uh, I mean, Predator... Is more of, he's more of like the hero. You know yeah. what I mean? Alien's definitely always been like the villain. Alien doesn't team up with humans. You know what I mean? So That's fair. And, I mean, Predator just has cooler weapons. Agreed. Agreed. But there's just something about... I mean, all Alien needs... Acid blood, dude. Acid I said, blood. Why did I say acid? Acid, acid blood. Acid blood. Got that acid blood. <laughs> that's just a that's just devastating to have. Are you a fan of the Alien versus Predator films? I really like both of them. I've only seen lie. one of them. The first one? Yeah. Okay. I I like the first one. It's good, right? I mean, I don't, everybody shit on it for what it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, everybody shits on versus movies, but like, what do you expect them to be? I don't know, you know. But but uh, the second one, uh, Alien versus Predator Requiem, I thought that that was really good too. That had the uh, Alien Predator hybrid in it. But everybody complained that it was too fucking dark. Everybody's like, "Oh, the movie was so dark, I couldn't see anything." And I'm like, "Well, I saw everything just fine." You know, I just, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I, yeah, I like those movies. I think they're a lot of fun. I would take the AVP movies over. Prometheus, Alien Covenant, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection. Yeah, Alien Resurrection is god-awful. And over the last two Predator films. The, the Alien Resurrection and, and the new, the last Predator film, that was just dog shit. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, what do you got going on? You got anything you want to bring up? Oh man, you're going to love this. It's about, okay. to, it's about your favorite series, The Walking Dead. Oh jeez, okay. So, I don't know if you saw... It's not my favorite series, by the way. <laughs> Daryl, Daryl and Carol are getting their own series. Like Daryl and series. Carol, Darryl they're and ending Carol. the world of the world. I forget what the fuck it's called at this point. I know somebody out there is like, no asshole. This is what it's called. <laughs> but uh, for whatever, they're ending of the main series. They're ending it, but then they still have Fear the Walking Dead. Daryl and Carol are getting the spinoff. It's I think uh, that one's called Tales of the Walking Dead, or no, I think that one's separate. But uh. All of a sudden, now they announced that uh, Laura Cohen and Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Maggie and Negan, are getting their own series as well after this ends. What the fuck? They're going to travel to New York City. It's called Isle of the Dead. It says Isle of the Dead sees Maggie and Negan travel into a post-apocalyptic Manhattan long ago cut off from the mainland. The crumbling city is filled with the dead and desinens who have made New York City their own world full of anarchy, danger, beauty, and terror. So you're just like, you're just like, well, people are tired of the South, so let's just move it here. They just find new, new locations. And they literally, for the ad, use the ad from the first one. I just the, the don't don't the don't dead open inside. <laughs> no, I just so basically this whole announcement of like the Walking Dead is ending is really just like 
the walking everybody's, it's just everybody's AMC. getting a buddy show it's, yeah, it's just amc going yeah we are ending the walking dead but we're just going to break it off into like four pieces here and have like all these different sideshows instead of just one main show but that's the thing if you couldn't keep everybody on one show together and keep it interesting how the fuck are you going to keep all these extra shows it's, it's all about zomb- the zombie apocalypse like what how, like how the fuck is there still material to go on i mean walking dead went from fuck yeah zombies are back to i'm fucking done with fucking yes, zombies yes I but, mean, I'm sorry, sorry, John, you said it before, but you've said it best, and The Walking Dead really needs to take a page from your book, not that you were experts or anything, but <laughs> like you said, like, The Walking Dead and the writers need to understand that character development can be more than just walking down train tracks for 20 minutes talking. Yeah. Boring as fuck. Just so tired of oh, the yeah, boring episodes. I compared it to when Game of Thrones, before that went off the rails in the yeah. final season and a half, I said they almost kind of did the same thing, where you have people in game of thrones going to you know different places kind of in the same way but it was entertaining as shit and the writing was well done like the first three seasons of walking dead are really good i only like the first one that was it yeah you you didn't like the the only one i really liked i stuck around herschel i stuck around uh, i mean you remember better i think maybe it was season five or six or seven i don't know I don't even remember. I, just, I, I kept sticking around, sticking around, sticking around. And I, I just, I was bored and I just, I was waiting for the show to become what everybody kept saying it was. Like, you know, Comic Con selling out and the line was for The Walking Dead is wrapped around the building. And I'm like, okay, there's obviously something to this show that I'm not getting. And several seasons in, you know, Ash vs. Evil Dead comes out and kicks ass and it's just an amazing show. Even on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like a 95 or a 99 or some shit. Like, you know, it's highly rated. And it's I'd like, rather, yeah, I'd rather watch Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah, but it's, it's like, anything oh my God. after season three of Walking Dead. It, but it's like a great horror show finally came out that really got people talking again and it got canceled. And then The Walking Dead, meanwhile, is still, call, well, still going on. And I'm like, you know what? I can't keep wasting my time on something. Like, I can't support this when the things I do like are getting canceled. The thing with The Walking Dead is probably after, I forget, <clears throat> I forget what, what season I dropped off, but it was somewhere in Alexandria. But it was same. Oh yeah, it was in Alexandria for me too. There would be where I would watch several episodes, and I'd be like, "This is terrible." And then I would have one or two episodes, and I'd be like, "Damn, that was a good episode," and it would hook me back in, and then I would just keep going in a pattern. I remember the one time. Uh, I was hanging out with Tim and Jocelyn. They're like, you want to watch Walking Dead? And I was like, yeah, I'm like eight episodes behind. Like, <laughs> I was like, and then like we got caught up on it over like a couple weeks. And I was like, I don't know why I wasted my time. Like, well, you know, going but back- everybody I know has dropped off. My friend Tim, same, same. he has, I, I don't think he find, has finished the collection of comic books. He made it the longest, <laughs> but even eventually he dropped out. And he was like, I just read what happens just to keep keep up with it. Well, it's uh, to bring back uh, Game of Thrones, because you had just brought that up, another thing that The Walking Dead has in common with Game of Thrones is that episode before the finale is fucking amazing, and then the finale is whack as shit. Yeah, that's true. They they have that in common. Like, the, the, the Walking Dead has some build-up, and then the episode before the finale, all this shit goes down, and it's like this awesome ending, and then you're like, wait, but there's another episode coming? Yeah, that's And then usually like nothing happens. Use, it's everybody just sitting episode. on the porch sipping lemonade and talking shit. <laughs> sipping lemonade and talking shit. That they stirred with their hands. <laughs> Got that zombie juice on them. <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, that would happen. I feel like Game of Thrones kind of same way as where, like, it was that second to last episode, and then the next episode was the build into the next season. 
but yeah, at least Game of Thrones, it was all up until like the final season and a half that it was good. Walking Dead just went on way too long. I mean, I agree. It's like, I don't, I don't know what's up with AMC, but like you had Rick leave. You had all these people. I mean, the funny thing is Maggie left and came back. His mother, Rick's motherfucking movie still hasn't even come out <laughs> yet. Right? And now he's back on the show. What the fuck happened to those plans? Yeah, they're still uh they're still working on it. But I like Janky timeline. But I think it was like was it Yeah, I still think the most fucked up thing they did on that show was the kid who played Coral. Oh yeah. They were negotiated for a contract and stuff, and he was gary to go to college and his parents were like, Oh, like, is he still gonna be on the show? Like, if so, we'll buy a house down in Georgia. That way it makes it easier. Yeah. And they were kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they killed him off midway through that season. I was no, like, that's Yeah, that's up. brutal. I didn't know all those details. I thought that he requested There seems to be a lot of problems with that production. There's always, like, I feel like for the first four or five years, there was a lot of people. Like, Scott Derrickson was in there. Gimple was in there. Frank Darabond. Like, I feel like. I think Frank Darabon left after season two. Yeah, well, I, yeah. He said he, he got pissed off with him. I, I know that a main thing that AMC has that I've seen, it was during the Breaking Bad era as well, was uh, uh, that people say that AMC like overworks their people. like They will work the shit out of you and make your schedule absolutely ridiculous, and they don't pay you enough. So I think that was a big problem with Frank Darabon as well, was the, the ridiculous schedule and the slave labor, I guess you'd say, for lack of a better term. Anyway, let's move on from talking about that shitty show. Let's get into horror history. This week in horror history. All right. So for horror history this week, uh, we'll start off with 2007. And this was a movie you got me to watch because I thought it just the premise of it. I wasn't a big fan, but it turned out to be a pretty great movie. And that's Dead Silence from 2007. It's 15 years old. It's almost legal. (laughs) that was a good one uh well before the listen before the first two conjuring films this was the scariest james wan film i'm not saying it was the best film because i like the original saw a lot but this was the scariest james wan film at that time another prime example of how wan just completely drops you on your ass with a twist he really has a way of making you go god damn everything that i just watched was a lie same thing happened with saw like the twist is right in your face and it just knocks you on your ass you know and in this case it's this old ass man being used as a puppet the whole time manipulating the whole fucking movie uh and and in saw it was jigsaw being on the floor like i said and and in malignant it was the killer uh being the antagonist <laughs> it was the uh, in malignant it was the killer and the uh the killer is the antagonist and the protagonist you know it's the same person he's a, he's a genius like that uh and dead silence is a great creepy old school gothic tale mary shaw is scary as hell looking judith roberts is so fucking creepy uh this is the perfect creepy old lady and creepy doll movie wrapped into one yeah, I just, when I originally saw, I've seen it on Netflix a million times, but never stopped to watch it. And I remember you brought it up and I was like, oh, that stupid looking puppet movie. And you're like, no, that's a good movie. You know, you know, the funny thing is I'll tell this story here real quick about this before we move on to the next movie. But I remember I had, I was working a job and uh, I was doing a, a carpet job. And I remember I brought in like $1,100 in one day in pay and in tips and uh, I had all this money, and I remember being so happy. It was like the most money I'd ever had in my life at the time, and I had just fistfuls of cash. And this was in 2007. And 
and I was just so fucking happy. Um, so like everybody was like, "What are you gonna do with your money? Are you gonna buy a car? Are you gonna do this? Are you gonna do that?" I went to Blockbuster and bought Dead Silence on DVD. <laughs> that was the first thing that I did with that money. I was gonna say, hopefully you didn't spend all your money. It's expensive ass Blu-ray. I got that <laughs> boutique edition. <laughs> yeah, the blue, the Blockbuster edition. The rental sticker on it. <laughs> I I probably got some DVDs fucking chilling somewhere with those on them. I think everybody does. And uh, from 1979, 43 years old, Taurus Trap. Love that the, movie. Joe Bob is the one that got me to watch that. I was like, you've seen it recently, right? When that Joe was Bob when he did, did the the marathon that we all thought was. I think I think it was the marathon, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His like first marathon before he got the. Yeah. Before, before they gave him a show. Yeah, and this is uh, Taurus Trap is one of the absolute best movies from Full Moon. Uh, I recently got the Blu-ray restoration, and it's it's awesome. Uh, you've seen it, right? It's the uh, VHS style box, and like the plastic up there on the shelf. Yep, I see it. Up and there. Uh, yeah, it's got the little Chuck Connors action figure. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie's it's creepy as hell. And the thing is, I really like the 2005 House of Wax remake, you know, with Paris Hilton. But that is Nicole like Nicole likes that. I give her shit for it. Did, did you ever actually watch it though? I've watched. Like, I don't think I've ever gave it a full watch through. It's actually not bad if you can get through the fact that Paris Hilton was in it. But uh, but the thing is, is that the House of Wax remake from 2005, it's actually more of a remake of Tourist Trap than the original House of Wax. If you go back and watch the Vincent Price House of Wax, it has, like, nothing to do with the remake besides the fact that it was, like, a dude who got burned and in a wax museum like everything else about the movie like being brothers and one wears a mask and you know like the whole town is made of like wax and it's all fake people all over the town and not just in a museum like that's all that's all from a uh, tourist trap so it's like the house of wax remake actually just ripped tourist trap the fuck off and uh yeah i don't know what was the obsession with the 90s and 2000s of let's let's remake vincent price movies <laughs> i don't know and nobody let's did- take one of the best horror actors of like the golden Ever. age of cinema and you know what we're just gonna remake all of his movies and you know what's funny though i i can't think of one off the top of my head that's been better than the ones he did i am legend i don't like it more than last man on earth you know like no you ain't you ain't you ain't a will smith fan i like will smith i'm just not will a fan smith? of all of his shit he's hit or miss uh i would say lately he's hit or miss i feel like for a while he had like a good solid run he did i fucking love the fresh prince of bel-air you know what movie i actually really like that people for some reason don't like hancock it's not hand it's hancock the superhero movie uh yeah i saw that i had no interest in some girl i was fucking around with at the time wanted to see it so i was like yeah i'll see but uh i will say Hancock, I wish I was, I would shave more if I was able to shave the way he did and just take your hand and just Oh, like, use his fingernails? Yeah, yeah, right? Seriously. And like one of the few, well, it's not a comedy, but I was going to say Jason Bateman. I feel like, I don't, I like Jason Bateman, but I feel like he plays the same character in everything. He does. He's just a normal dude. He's the opposite dude. of last week when, when we talked about <laughs> Brian Cox, who could like do everything. Jason Bateman just always plays like some like smug, know-it-all like he, asshole. He plays like the straight character, and I don't mean like sexuality or whatever. <laughs> I mean straight. Is like he plays like the straight and narrow, like cut and dry, like normal person. 
in these like awkward situations around these ridiculous people and his humor is his like sarcasm and the way he reacts to like their humor so he's not really a very he's more of like I don't know if, I, if this is even a term but he's more of like a defensive comedian where he doesn't actually have any offense like on his own he's not funny he needs people to say shit and do shit for him to bounce off of for him to be funny does that make sense yeah there's sometimes though I watch some of his stuff and I'm like oh that's me <laughs> I'm that asshole that does this Although, I mean, I do, he, couples retreat. I still love the line. Uh, uh, do you, do you remember that movie? No, I don't even know if I've ever seen that one. The one, the one with him, Vince Vaughn. Sam, my, my wife just watched that like, uh, last week actually on, 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 your, on using your video account, but no, I've never seen it. Oh, uh, they're, they're, they're trying, he's trying to get Vince Vaughn and a bunch of his other friends to go on this vacation and he tries to come back to the house at night. But he's like tossing pebbles at at the window, and you keep hearing him tink. And then like Vince Vaughn comes down with his gun, and he like almost shoots him. And he go, he has the best line. He said, "You could have been anybody. You could have been a rapist." He said, "Rapists do not gently toss pebbles at your window." <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll move on here. We got another one on the list. It was on your uh, underrated movie list, which I did agree with. Nineteen years old. Almost being able to smoke and drink from 2003, Willard. Yeah, man. Uh, but yeah, we did talk about this briefly. This might be one that we end up doing a full episode on because it's one of those ones that you could just keep. I could just keep talking about this movie, but let's be honest. This was a. Uh, Crispin Glover is at the top of his fucking game in this movie. I mean, he's been known to be kind of weird in real life, and we all know that if you, if you know who he is everybody's got jokes about him you know everybody makes fun of him and jokes around and pokes fun at him because he's like a really eccentric person but you know what like I, we don't personally know him so his personal life doesn't matter his work and what he does in his movies truly shows and besides that fucking dance in friday the 13th damn i was just about to say part four he had the sweetest dance moves in friday the 13th um his work in in willard truly shows you how genius of an actor he really is you know and during the commentary he constantly points out every time he cries in the movie he would say those are real tears you know he's very proud of his work and and rightfully so uh willard is a character that everyone understands and feels for he just takes shit too far and you know that's actually usually the case with these types of films if he didn't take it too far there really wouldn't be a movie would there I mean, that's a lot of horror movies right it's somebody that you can feel sympathetic for but they just take it a bit too far. Agreed. And uh, I actually think this remake is superior to the original film, um, the 1971 film. I think it's superior because it's just so much darker, so much more depressing. And uh, number, uh, well, not number one, but uh, our other one here on horror history. Last but not least, right? <laughs> from uh, 35 years ago, 1987. Uh, maybe one of the worst movies ever made, Evil Dead 2. <laughs> <laughs> joking, obviously you're joking. No, I was going to see if I could get a reaction out of you. <laughs> this, this, The funny thing about this movie is that this is the movie that actually made the term groovy cool. Yeah, it's and I mean, it's kind of like a basically a remake of the first one. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's the, like the whole thing is like, you know, they, they couldn't, it's afford... very confusing watching the original and this one back to back. Well, the whole, the whole thing was like, uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's, 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 I don't it's, think you hit this. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a remake in a sense, but it's not. And that's where the, the 
contradiction lies because everybody's like always conflicted and it actually it's actually kind of both the truth is they couldn't afford the footage from the original film to do a recap for evil dead 2 so instead of like doing a recap they just refilmed everything just using ash's girlfriend and cut out the rest of the cast so it comes off as a remake but it's, it's actually a remake sequel this was kind of the first requel actually so actually that's this was actually kind of the first requel you know but uh i mean i mean i think we might need to do an evil dead retrospective episode because there's just too much to say well we just do one two army of darkness and even the show we'll just break them all fucking down and do a long extensive episode and torture our fucking editor josh hensley yeah and i finally was able to get uh, through uh ash versus evil dead i'd seen the first two seasons but just never got around to the third and then actually had Nicole rewatch it with me and it's funny because you know the, she's third, not re- the third season or the whole show the whole show okay I just read because it had been a couple of years so I, I I knew what happened but I was like just let me refresh myself actually when I was out visiting Kenny him and I watched season one together then when I came back I started season one and watched it another time again <laughs> with Nicole and uh we watched the whole series and, and 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 you know how she is she's not really into the blood and guts horror yeah. but like she loved she loved ash versus evil dead i the fell, humor, the humor I fell asleep it. one night and rather than stop the show she just soldiered on through and kept watching and yeah. used the excuse of oh i thought you had already seen these ones yeah like <laughs> three years ago i wanted to rewatch them it's like it's like i'm gonna use a really tasteless uh, a tasteless like way of wording here but uh it is you know fuck it this is a 21 plus show i'm gonna bring up cocaine come oh, use geez. cocaine as a metaphor here like horror in general is like cocaine and you know you everybody needs to cut cocaine with something right and so like i feel like bruce campbell's you know uh humor and the just wittiness is what cuts that horror cocaine up and makes it like digestible for people who can't stand gore and stuff like that and what i've said is bruce campbell's one-liners i said it to kenny i said it to nicole his one-liners on their own you hear them nine times out of ten you're just going to groan and go, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but when it, for some reason, when it's delivered by Bruce Campbell, it cracks me up every time. The timing time. and the way the he timing. says it. But they're so stupid. Anybody else delivering that, it's just, you would roll your eyes. But when Bruce Campbell does it, it's fu- it just fucking works. I agree, man. And, you know, I have so many memories with Evil Dead 2. This movie was pretty much watched on loop, like, through all of high school. Evil Dead 2 is one of those movies that's just eye-opening, as even Ryan Spindell said in our previous episode for the Mortuary Collection. This is one of those movies that, like, once you watch it, it literally makes you want to watch more horror. It kind of, you kind of, here's another drug reference. You kind of chase that dragon <laughs> with this one. You're chasing the dragon. You keep watching horror, hoping to find that lightning in the bottle that was Evil Dead 2. And, you know, like I said, you know, I have extensive books on the series. We need to do an episode. We need to just do a whole Evil Dead retrospective. Yeah, and I didn't get into Evil Dead until... I don't know, was it maybe about 15 years ago? And I remember, like, even back in high school, you were like, you gotta watch Evil Dead. So, like, you, you've been on me for it for, like, years <laughs> to watch it, but it was definitely... I still even... I still like Army of Darkness best, just because it's just so ridiculous. I have the best memories with army of darkness i watched okay so i started getting like i started smoking heavy during you know high school and that was when i started you know really smoking weed and i remember i would get and i didn't tell my parents nobody knew obviously my sister didn't know my sister was my best friend at the time and i would just go say that i was out with friends and i would just get fucking cooked in the backyard (laughs) and i would come in and I would just act like my allergies were acting up. You know, my, I think my parents always thought I had allergies because I always would say that that was the reason my eyes were bloodshot and my nose was running and shit. But anyway, I'd come in and uh, 
I would just watch Army of Darkness with my sister, and there were times where we would literally, the VHS would stop and rewind automatically, and we would look at each other like, what do you want to do? And we'd just, mm, and press play again, and watch it twice I in had, one night. I can't remember the movies, but I don't know if it was the movies or the VCR or what, but I definitely had shit where that would happen, where it would just stop and start rewinding. I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I would say, I like Evil Dead 2 the most, but I would say I have the most fun watching Army of Darkness, because it's just fucking, there's, there's just, I don't there's a scene in it that isn't hilarious i mean yo she bitch let's go i mean the, the, again the one-liners everything about it it's hilarious i feel like ash campbell is the most sympathetic ash campbell <laughs> ash williams i don't know why i got campbell where the fuck did i get campbell from? bruce campbell uh, but no, you're high as hell brother dude, no I, I, I got it from somewhere i don't know where the fuck i got it from there's an ash campbell fucking somewhere that i fucking know i don't know where but I'll go figure it out. Was that that uh, person that wrote it or P- for PPA and asked <laughs> if you were submissive? <laughs> Their name was Ash Campbell. Fuck me up. <laughs> fuck. Now I don't even know what the fuck I was trying to <laughs> fucking say. Oh, I was going to say Ash has to maybe be the most sympathetic, racist, misogynistic character in cinema history. And women love him. That's what's crazy. Is that, like He's open about he, being just masculine and just sexist and male chauvinistic. And the women eat they'll eat peanuts out of his ass crack it's crazy Ugh. who the fuck's eating peanuts out of a penis <laughs> i don't know about all that. now you're really getting into that you're getting into that you're getting into that fucking legal porno shit you know legal? you ever seen legal porno it's some hardcore anal fucking videos what? no i have not <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it is oh. legal. It is legal. It's just it's, it's it's not it's not the age of people. It's just the boundaries in which it's the blundering the just reminded eating me. Eating peanuts out of ass cracks. Yeah, anyway, that's just that, that, even on on a similar note, even eating peanuts out of ass cracks. The there's fuck? no reason to do neither. Please don't do neither. <laughs> or if you want to, just make sure the other person consents. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think, yeah, I think now it's time to get on the Puff Puff Ass, the segment of our show where you write in questions via social media at High on Horror 420 and email at High on Horror 420 at gmail.com. All right, today's questions are pulled from our Instagram inbox. These attracted us. Be- Set them somewhere else other than Instagram. God damn. I don't know, man. Instagram's popping. <laughs> but uh, these attracted us because they're kind of funny. Um, Shane, who goes by, sorry, hold on. Let's give John a second to die real quick. Oh man, I'm dying. <laughs> okay. So Shane, who goes by masked man, OO on Instagram asks, would you buy a doll that you knew was haunted? Um, no, I'd be fascinated and I'd look at it from afar, but I would not get close to it or touch it or own it, but I'd probably take a picture of it. Maybe like over my shoulder or something. How do you feel, John? Would you own a doll if it was haunted? See, before I get directly, see, I feel like they could tell me and like have some ways to try to prove that it was haunted and I still wouldn't believe them. <laughs> but let's just say I did know it was haunted. Yeah, I mean, well, okay, I, let's say, let's say you didn't believe it was haunted, but then shit happened that made you think it was haunted. You saw the bitch move or slide would, across the table. I would on think it's it all in my head. Okay. I'd be like, I need to go smoke a bowl, chill out. <laughs> But pass the bowl to this bitch. <laughs> yeah, just sitting there. <laughs> I gotta pass it to the ghost. <laughs> then, then, then when the doll hits the bowl, you know this shit's real. This thing's haunted. Anyway, sorry. 
Anyway, uh, but let's just say I did believe it was haunted. I'd still probably get it. You would? Yeah. Would you put it like a, in feel, a box or anything? See, or would you just, like, just like, chill with it on your bed? It's like one of your bed pills, like one of your bed dollies? <laughs> yeah, just in between Nicole and I in the bed. A 12-year-old child died with this in her arms. but Now, Nicole would be pissed if I bought it and I told her that it was haunted because she believes in that shit. Mm. But see, the other thing is like, when I think if there actually are ghosts, I don't think that they can like influence shit like the kind of, well, I guess they're kind of more demons, but still kind of like the whole ghost thing. I don't think they're very influential in being able to actually do stuff Yeah. other than appear if ghosts were to exist. So that might also play into my whole, oh, if it's haunted, I'll just be like, oh, look at what this shit does. Well, um, it might still be creepy, but see, I guess that maybe that's why you and I don't take it to such levels because we take it to different levels. I don't think you grew up. I know your family, your mom's religious. I don't know. I think I don't know if you, how, yeah, how deep into it you ever shit got. happened at my um, house that everybody else has said that they've experienced, but I still don't believe in it. Like, I swear to God, like I would hear my front door, like I would sit in the living room and at night and I'd hear the door open because like I would go, oh shit, like somebody's breaking in or something and it was weird because we'd always have our door locks yeah and then i would hear like somebody walk like 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 a creaking like on this wood because my dad was handicapped so we had like a ramp like okay. a wooden ramp right right going out the door and i would hear the wood on the ramp creaking and i mentioned it to my mom like my mom she she believes the house is haunted but she's like unaffected by it after all these years she's like oh yeah i just hear him every once in a while I don't know. I still don't buy it. I still think it's just something I can't explain, but. Well, I mean, like, but you didn't, you personally, not your mom. And like I said, I know your mom's religious, but did you grow up with a background in religion? Like, did you believe or read the Bible at all during your life? Yeah, I was in, yeah, my mom, I was like. But you're Catholic, right? No, no. Christian? Uh, well, I mean, I think Catholics are Christian. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it depends, but. Because I was born again. Not, okay. Not, okay. Not Protestant. Catholic. My, okay. My parents took me to like Baptist church. My point is, you know, different Bibles, you know, different strokes, different folks. But, uh, I mean, I used but, to believe that stuff. And then I feel like in my mid twenties, late thirties, I kind of, or just late gave 30s, up on early thirties kind of, it was like a slow drift. Well, the thing is though, is like, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'm not, um, I'm not religious either. I, I used to be and I grew up in a very religious household as I've mentioned on this podcast before. I would consider myself a nihilist right now, if anything. <laughs> but um but the truth is is that, you know, if you do if I were to the reason that I wouldn't fuck with a haunted doll is because I only believe that there are demons and uh I only believe that it's demons that fuck with you because in the Bible, in the King James Bible, it states that the dead know nothing of the living. If that is stated then that means that like when you die and you're in heaven or hell, you have no idea what's going on. So the whole like, you know, oh, so I hope so-and-so is looking down on me and I know so-and-so is watching me. That's really just a thing to say for hope. Even in the Bible, that's not true. Like when you're dead, you're just gone. Therefore, when you have something walking around your house saying it's your mother, saying it's your grandfather, saying it's your dead child, <clears throat> that is a demon. That's the devil whispering in your ear, temptation, bringing you to the other side, making you believe in him. You start believing in the, you start believing, oh my God, that's my son, that's my son. You're putting your faith into a false thing. You're putting your faith, in, faith into the devil. So that's why I wouldn't fuck with haunted dolls. I don't believe there are ghosts. I believe there are just demons that fucking try to get in your head and confuse you. Yeah, I used to believe, like I used to believe in ghosts too, but it seems like when my whole religious type stuff went that kind of went with it yeah yeah but uh yeah i 
yeah, you can ask any of my friends growing up. I, uh, my, my family, my mom was very religious. <clears throat> and my father was not. And then my father, like the end of 1999, like became very religious. We would go, uh, Wednesday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night. So like we're going three times a week. It, it, my knowledge is kind of wane, but that was, uh, I hadn't heard that one before. And like my Bible knowledge, like I used to be like pretty good with like Bible knowledge, whatever there'd be like the trivia type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of also, cause I guess I don't hear it anymore. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of waned. But you see how like your, your thing was like, if it was demons, you wouldn't fuck with it, but ghosts you didn't believe in. So if you take the ghost element out of it, I don't know if I just, believe, well, it, yeah, I guess well, yeah, believe when, when, when with I, quotations, when, when I with false quotations, believed, you know what I mean? Like, and so take the ghost element out of it. If you're getting a doll and it's haunted by a demon, like some Annabelle shit, would you fuck with that still? Okay, so we have to suppose that I automatically believe that like it is actually a demon. In that case, then then no, I'm not fucking with it. <laughs> okay. But if it was just like a ghost and how I think a ghost, I mean, everybody's got their own interpretation of yeah. what they can do, but... With my interpretation, they're kind of harmless. Yeah. If they, ex I feel like if they existed, it's just something that they show up. But I still don't believe that. <laughs> gotcha. But if I had to, <laughs> yeah, I would. I wouldn't be afraid of the my version of ghost. I, I mean, I, there was that. That you remember that slate real quick before we get over rambling. But I have to say this. Do you remember on Montel the talk show Montel? Montel uh, Williams. Yes, that's yeah. slate kick. Uh, Sylvia Brown. She ended yeah. up being a fraud. So my mom bought one of her books and like it actually scared the shit out of my mom and it still creeps me out even thinking about it. This is one of those Bloody Mary type things uh, where it's like, again, it's kind of, it's all cool on paper, but I would never do it or fuck with it. Sylvia Brown talked about how, and again, uh, she ended up being a fraud, so I don't know what's true, what isn't. It could all be bullshit, but she... Uh, it's some, uh, what, what, what's the internet called now? Creepypasta? She, she said, uh, Sylvia Brown said in, the, in this book that she wrote, that the dead just are always constantly trying to talk to you and she said that like if you leave a tape recorder recording at night while you're sleeping like you'll hear the dead like talking to you in your sleep and i always was like i wonder who's brave enough to try that because i'm not fucking doing it i would <laughs> maybe not we'll me. do it in report the only problem is uh, you just gonna hear me just sawing logs. Yeah, the, you're all not gonna night. hear anybody talking. Like, so I, I mean, I think there's a conversation going on, but like there's a chainsaw revving over it. Like, they're that's gonna, not they, a they're gonna have to fucking scream in my ear to wake me up. <laughs> wake the fuck up! <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, moving on from ghosts, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Busting makes me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> that is that's a fucked up line. Anyway, uh, Paul from uh, Instagram, uh, he wanted to know how long you guys would survive in a horror movie. All right, let me, <laughs> let me break this down for you. I am slow. I am overweight. Uh, my lung capacity, not good. My stamina, not good. I'm going to be one of the first people out. Like... I've even I don't I don't know if I've ever. You're said pretty this. smart though. You're intelligent. You don't think you could put yeah. your brain to use? I mean, maybe, but like when I was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre with uh, Tim and Jocelyn, our friends, uh, 
I said, because they were like, pretend like you're dead. I'm like, yeah, until my heavy breathing ass is like trying to sit there and pretend, and he just hears. Is <sighs> that ragged breathing? <laughs> that Michael Myers breathing? <sighs> and I'll, he's just like, wait, he ain't dead. <laughs> this motherfucker taking a nap. <laughs> you probably would be I'll too. Yeah, you know, I like, I, I keep my eyes closed too long and fall asleep. I just start snoring. That's how he knows. See, I don't know. I think that you underestimate yourself. I mean, I, I get. I mean, I, I'm pretty much all the all the things that you said you are. But uh, I think honestly, I think it depends on the horror movie, right? Like going back to the first question, if it was a doll that I'm fighting off, then I'm going to survive that goddamn thing. I'm going to survive the whole fucking that's thing. That's fair. There's context. You know? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll fuck a doll up if it's. I'm pitching like zombie land. That's what I was going to say. Well, if it's zombies, I have a good chance of chance of lasting long as long as those motherfuckers aren't running. If they're walking, I'm you yeah, know I'm six like one. I can. Days- I can Later, walk the zombie non-zombies. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, the infected. Or zombie land. They're fast in zombie land. Yeah, even like, too. I'd be fucked. Yeah, fast zombies. I'm fucked there. But normal Romero zombies, I'm good there. Uh, werewolves or vampires or slashers, I'm fucked. I could outrun Leatherface. <laughs> I could probably outrun Leatherface. Maybe I could nah, survive him. No, he probably still got me. But, uh, but if, if me and him lining up at a 40, I think Leatherface got me. Well, uh, uh, ghosts and demons, uh, I take my chances. Because with them, all you got to really do is just wear trinkets and spurt verbiage <laughs> um real passionately uh you know but uh, i'd probably still die from trauma or a heart attack but you know i'd last a little longer yeah like i yeah like i said because i'd have to run to hide and i want to hide i'm just gonna be like trying to catch my breath gonna be sound like bj penn after the second round <laughs> just fucking huffing dude i would just i'm just trying to think like when i just said like the slashers like again ghosts and demons you know if this little if the, if the little woman from poltergeist can take on fucking poltergeist you know what i mean then i could stand up to some some fucking some entities i'll take that shit on or a so doll that's, that's a positive but, message in there but you put uh you put like slashers like i'm just saying you put me against like jason Voorhees. i know jason Voorhees is after me in my condition with my fucked up left knee uh, I'm honestly like everybody in those movies are all like shaking up and like crying and oh, oh god what are we gonna do I would just pick you know what bro it is what it is I'd plop down I'd text my wife love you I'd sit down I'd spark up a cone and I would just smoke and wait for him to come and get me I'd be like, I'm not even gonna waste my breath bro you're just gonna pop out from behind a tree I'm gonna be too tired to fight you anyway just see, let me smoke see, this joint real quick you cut you cut you cut me off earlier and this was what I was gonna get to before you said I would have a chance but uh I was going to say, I don't know if I've said it to you. Like, I said, look, man, these, like, slasher movies has be like, come on, man. Like, I ain't even going to... I'm like the worst person. I ain't even going to try. I'm going to be like, just get it over with. Like, it's almost like a, like a pity fuck, but it's like a non-kill. Like, you get killed. You don't get killed, but it's out of pity. Like, it's almost worse that you don't get I'm killed. Like, well, like, we know you're going to catch me in the end. Just, like, get it over with. Like just like do some like hardcore gangster shit like jason Voorhees has got you jacked up by the neck and he's about to kill you and as you're dying you exhale your weight in his face yeah i'll, I'll get chucked by uh i'll get leather face he'll just chuck me 10 feet over into the trash <laughs> and you'll have you'll fire a shotgun at him a minute later yeah re-watching that though i gotta say you're right i said 10 feet and then i changed it because i went that's too far you're right. I undersold it on the second one. Rewatching, I specifically was like, I got to see how far. It's ten feet, dude. Uh, look, Leatherface was a great. He legit was in the middle of the street. Leatherface was a great colleague, and Sally was Rey Mysterio. <laughs> oh no, big uh, the giant and Rey Mysterio from WCW when he oh, tosses yeah. them like the lawn dart oh, down the uh, <laughs> down the hallway or whatever that was. into the like trailers. They were yeah. outside. Okay, yeah. He just picks them up and one hand and just tosses them like a lawn dart. <laughs> more wrestling i love talking wrestling <laughs> uh yeah so 
I will. I mean, anything done? outside of uh, dolls and supernatural, I'm dying. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I and uh, and uh, slow zombies. We can survive slow, slow zombies. Zombie, maybe. If, if Sean and Ed can hide up in the Winchester, we'd be in here recording podcasts. We'd be like conspiracy theorists, but we'd just be like, you know, John tried to feed one a piece of pizza today. <laughs> But it didn't like the pepperoni. <laughs> you know, like, we'd be, like, doing weird shit. But what has High on Horror become? Like, there's no weed because the world's in a zombie apocalypse. We'll just start but, growing it in here. But if, if, uh... Right here in the closet. <laughs> but if, uh... Yeah, if, if it was slow zombies and, you know, we could just find a place to shack up. Like, we'd just shack up at a movie theater. Imagine that. Just watch Night of the Comet, that shit. Just, just watch movies all night. I'm in. Hopefully it happens soon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh... Don't forget to write in your questions to us on all social media platforms. The tag is at highonhorror420 or email us at highonhorror420 at gmail.com or visit our website highonhorror.com. Now, as John said last week, it may be March, but we're talking about (laughs) May. Let's talk about May. And today's film we're talking about is May. It's a 2002, uh, I guess you'd label it a psychological horror film. That's what I would call it, yeah. Written and directed by today's guest, Lucky McKee. And that was actually his directing debut. And uh, we have Angela Bettis in the role as of May. Uh, she was traumatized as a kid. I guess you could say she's traumatized as an adult, too. Uh, but very much a loner, very on the uh, outskirts of social society really yeah i mean this is a story of uh of just about loneliness and about a woman may who just you know finds somebody that she really likes and just basically becomes obsessed with them to the point that it's unhealthy and she starts basically she 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 is so socially awkward that she can't separate reality from fiction and she starts trying to you know just she takes things to a whole other level i mean angela bettis is perfection She's adorable, she's very attractive, and she plays a nerdy, quirky type very well, doesn't she? Yes. And uh, the story, uh, we, we get a look at her childhood. She has a has a severe lazy eye. The kids actually ask her if, if she's a pirate because she wears a patch to school. And uh, her mother had a glass and case doll named Susie, and she gives it to May for her birthday and tells her... Uh, kind of the theme of the movie if you can't find a friend make one (laughs) you know that's yeah that's nice and uh she works as a vet assistant and uh first she gets her lazy eye fixed first with glasses and then contact lenses and then uh she meets adam and uh that gets very interesting he uh well she has a fixation on his hands and she considers that to be his most attractive part of him i don't know about you but like i don't know i've never gone damn look at her hands it's a girl thing i think my uh sam always says that about me she'll be like i love your hands i'm like i don't know why they're callous they're beat up i don't get it i don't know what it is with hands yeah then they start dating and uh that goes weird doesn't it i mean it does it does but you know the the thing about may is that you know she the character of may embodies so many horror fans and that's why i think that this movie is just so well received amongst everyone who's seen it because you know may is just awkward and everybody can relate to may a little bit right exactly and she feels like a freak you know and and uh she's socially out of touch and super nice and leaves herself wide open for heartache 
you know, and uh, we all have experienced loneliness and the want to be normal or made to feel normal by our peers. And May is the embodiment of that. And, and that's why she's sympathetic. Yes, she takes things too far, obviously, as we'll get into. But you see where she goes off track. And honestly, until she mentally derails, even in her awkwardness, in her awkwardness, the viewer understands her, even though you know she's making the wrong calls. You can't help but understand where she's coming from, even though she's fumbling. Uh, but, you know, like when Adam, you know, played by Jeremy Sisto, and he's napping, and May comes up and just puts her face in his hands, you know, or starts smoking his type of cigarettes. You know, she, she just wants to fit in. How can you not feel for that? Yeah, I think our uh, our friend Lauren Lauren Marie Taylor uh, has been bested for the worst person knowing how to smoke something. Oh, agreed. We're going to have to tell her that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're going to have to tell Lauren that. That's that's a very May, good point. May uh, struggles very, like, completely no idea how to smoke a cigarette. I mean, the first time I smoked a cigarette, I mean, we all didn't know what we were doing, but, like, we weren't it wasn't that it. difficult to figure it out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. May, May has some real problems. And then uh, she also has a lesbian colleague, Polly, played by Anna Ferris, and uh, she flirts very heavy with May. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of double entendres <laughs> in Anna Ferris's, uh, uh talks with her. And uh, May talks about her having a beautiful neck. And uh, when May goes to Adam's apartment, uh, he shows her the film he made, Jack and Jill, about a cannibalistic couple. And uh, being weird, uh, our uh, protagonist, May, uh, gets aroused by the cannibal film and says it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And that's that that yeah, and, and that's uh that's kind of where, you know, she starts to lose things a little bit. She sees that film and then, you know, it's uh it's just, you know, she takes she sees that film and basically tries she tries that on him. There she thinks, Oh, he likes this, so you know, when they're making out, she thinks like, Oh, let me bite his lip and bust him open and split his lip open and gets really rough with him and, and let's be honest here, you know, uh Jeremy Sisto He's not desperate for any female companions. So, you know, he's not scared and he does drop May like a bad habit once he sees through her well, once in, he sees through her bullshit. In fairness now. She, they he the first time she does it, I I believe he says, What's wrong with you? And then they He go, goes back at it, yeah. They go on another date. So already knowing the guy was like, What the fuck when you did it the first time? I believe she bites it even worse the second that's time. That's when he gets split open. He's like, that's it's when like he's really real like, what bad. the fuck? And he gets pissed, yeah. Yeah, and like, I, I know you're supposed to feel bad, but uh, dating some, I don't know how to politically correctly <coughs> say this, uh, some interested women, um, <laughs> I can understand some of how Adam feels about like, because she, she goes to his house and can hear him talking and saying, I'm so glad I got away from her. Yeah, yep. She says, I'll go for Polly and do the whole lesbian thing. And look, Polly offered her mac and cheese. Yeah. I'm not turning down mac and cheese. I told Nicole, some woman (laughs) offers me mac and cheese. I'm going to her house. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm with you there, you know, but, uh, but also though, it's, it's the little things that May does that kind of start to get to be a little too much. Like when she's going to the laundromat, trying to time to be at the laundromat when he's there. And, you know, like the things like when she's, uh, he's going from work and she's like d- deliberately like walking across from him and bumps into him and acts like she didn't know he was there. And the little things that she does, the little cute things kind of just start to becoming more and more like, this is like, you're creepy, you know? And then the whole thing, like you said, happens where, you know, uh, 
she you know bites his lip and everything and yeah adam he he rejects her after she becomes too freaky for him you know her her affection becomes violent because she thinks that that's what he wants and um he's a huge but horror he fan told her the first time no that's not what i want you to do and she took that as yeah do it again i know i know you know but you know it's like uh he watches, he's a huge horror fan and watches things of, you know, violent, grotesque nature. And, uh, I can't fault Adam for how he felt like to get away from her. Like he's not really a bad guy in all this. No, he's not. He's not. And, uh, yeah. So he drops her like a bad habit. And then from this point, straight up lies to her at the laundromat. She, yeah, he does. Cause he they does. always keep running into each other at the laundromat. And then she, he goes to use the machine and goes, oh, this doesn't work. I got to go take it down here. <laughs> yep. and then she goes over and puts money in and the machine starts right up yep yeah i mean but it's uh it's uncomfortably even though she seems harmless she's uncomfortably overbearing and even for him and uh he's the type of dude you know you know just doesn't take any shit from women and for him to just be like i'm just gonna I go mean, elsewhere he had a new girlfriend pretty quick but i'm saying instead of just telling her like fuck off you know you crazy right. bitch like that's what he could have said and instead you know he's just like you know oh, i'm gonna go to, you know this this machine doesn't work and i'm gonna move on like he tried to he doesn't want to be around her he doesn't want to be around her like there's nothing there there's no there's no talks left to be had he's done with her and um yeah, you know, and uh, she, you know, and so that's at the point where May loses her shit, and uh, you know, she decides that you know her doll, you know, just isn't enough. She needs to make a new friend, and uh, her doll Susie's not enough, so she makes a new friend, and she just starts, you know, basically becoming Frankenstein's doctor, and just strings together a string of victims rather quickly. Yeah, uh, it started with uh, she had Adam's cat. Yeah. Uh, and then she was, or actually, no, I'm sorry, it was Polly's cat. Yeah, oh, Polly, yeah, 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 it's Polly's because cat. Because she was devastated with everything that happened with Adam, so she goes to Polly's house, and Polly has another girl. But, and again, with this tense movie, Anna Ferris just has lunch. She's like, I'll kick her out. Like, <laughs> she, she was like, you're my number one. Like, yeah. I'll kick her out. So then May's devastated, and she throws the ashtray she got from, uh, from uh, one of the blind kids at the... I guess it was an was it an orphanage? The orphanage, yeah. Somewhere she was working. I don't can't remember off the top of my head, but that was the really the uh, the mo the most un unforgivable kill was killing the cat with the ashtray. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Um, but yeah, once once yeah, she fucking launched that ashtray. But I still think that uh, you know, once May snaps, she's totally gone, and I still think that Polly's death, uh, Anna Ferris, and I she still kept thinking Susie was talking to her too, which was weird. I still think that Anna's Anna Ferris's death is the hardest to watch because she doesn't know it's coming, and it's done in like we an, all know it's coming, right? But it's done in the way the scene is shot. It's done in this like elegant, innocent, you know, kind of joking manner, almost sexy, you know, and like you know, and, and then the whole just, time Polly's like, I know you wouldn't hurt, and then just made just nope, just cuts her throat, and it's like it's it's so elegant, but like it's it's also very crude. Yeah, she also, you know, like I said, believes the doll's taken her. And she took the doll, Susie doll, to the blind kids. And they uh, kept trying to take it out of the case. There's like a whole struggle and then it just shatters. The blind kids obviously can't see the glass. So they're like crawling through the glass and like falling on it. She's in the glass. And then, uh, yeah, then after that's when she went over to uh, Polly's. And the whole, yeah, like the whole time, Polly's like, "Oh, I know you won't hurt me, May." Yeah, and because she's, I mean, would you would you think May was gonna hurt you? 
I think that's the whole thing. I don't I think would. anybody. You would? Yeah. You would not see. Like I, I said, I've I, dealt me, with no. some of them types. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that far, obviously. I mean, I don't think I've known any that have committed murder. I mean, I'll, granted, granted, I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't let anybody. I don't care how skinny or frail or like, you know, inferior I feel that they are to me. I'm not going to let anyone sit behind me with a, with a fucking blade to my throat right? of any sort. But uh, in Maybe regards Gianna to. Michaels. <laughs> in regards to uh you know just like straight up being afraid of may no i wouldn't be scared of her but i wouldn't put myself in these situations where like she could like take advantage of me either and uh also when she's at polly's house it's on halloween night and she's dressed up as, as susie. susie a big susie doll she's dressed as her as her only friend susie you gotta love it it's so cute and then we got some random punk dude yeah that she meets yep he tries to be nice to her on the bench. Dude, that's uh, Frank the Bunny from uh, Donnie Darko. Oh, shit. Yep. Yeah, and he's also in um, Independence Day. And Tales of Halloween. Yep. That's, yeah, he's, he's made his way around. He's kind of a genre, kind of a genre you know, uh, actor right now. Yeah, then uh, she likes his tattoo. So uh, It's Frankenstein tattoo. Yeah, May, like uh, Drew said, ends up Frankenstein dr frankenstein and then and uh she makes uh makes her own friend but she forgot to give it eyeballs so it could see yeah yep that was probably the roughest scene to watch well it's kind of like you really see how fucking far gone she how far gone she is because she's screaming at this like I'm going to call it an amalgamation of just, like, body parts. Like, you know, Jeremy Sisto's hands and, you know, like... Uh, it's everything throughout the movie of different people. She told him she liked this about him. Yeah, and uh, it's like, you know, and she's like... She realizes that it can't see her. And she's there screaming, like, it can't see me, it can't see me, it can't see me. And then she just kind of goes and does what you see her do in the very opening scene of the film. Which yeah, is I, it's, uh, it's fucking removing her eye with a pair I forgot of scissors. about that, and then we got to the end... And Nicole was like, oh, we're back where we started. Yeah. Because you just see her screaming. But, yeah, she uh, gets rid of her only, uh, you know, the thing that's plagued her her whole life, that uh, lazy eye, and put it on a doll. But, I, you know, I wonder, that would the doll then, like, have eye problems seen? I mean, you gave it <laughs> one eye, and it's a lazy eye. Yeah, right, you give him one eye. You're, that's a very good point. Uh, but <laughs> that's a very good point. But I like, like, just how it's done. It's just done in such a way where... Like, nothing's perfect. Like, she gets the eye on there, and then she just kind of lays down next to it. Yes, the the eye just rolls off the face next to her, and she's just dying. You know, May uh, dies at the end of the film, and as she's dying, you know, like, we just said the eye kind of rolls off the face of this uh, man-made doll, which is hilarious, or woman-made doll, I should say. And then uh, in her dying moment, like, her the hand uh the, the arm. movie ends in her perspective because you yes. see the hand moving yeah it's it's not obviously really happening but the hand the the arms lift up or the arm the right arm comes over and kind of gives her like a gentle pat on the head and she's like you know you see the littlest smile like you know her best her her only friend acknowledged her and that's how she dies it's it's really sad but it's very very dark at the same time yeah drew was a little more sympathetic I feel for May. I would have taken May on a date. I, I take the Adam route. Like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, I told her I didn't like it. She did it anyway, and then she kills me. Nah, man. She just needed somebody to understand her situation. He was just that's the thing. He was used to. He was look. He was a hit it and quit it. And she was a she was a stage five clinger. That was just they were just not meant to be. If she had if May look, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna champion for May here. If she had somebody who could 
you know, if she had somebody who knew her situation could obviously scout, hey, she's obviously socially awkward and has never been on a date before. She had somebody to be a little... She, if she had a gentleman, let me put it, I'm going to blame Adam. That motherfucker is not a gentleman. Nah, if he, I'm not blaming Adam. <laughs> if, he, if she had somebody who was sympathetic towards her and knew how to edge her in to just like a relationship and just kind of like, no, don't do that, do this. And kind of like, I feel like she had a chance, but... She just jumped into a dude that really just get, didn't give a shit about women. He just ran through women like, you know, like truckers run through cigarettes. He, he just didn't being, care. He was being fine with her until she bit his lip. And then he goes, what the fuck is that? That's the only thing he did wrong. I mean, I don't even, he didn't even do that wrong. Like, I mean, how else do you want my dude to react when his lip gets bit? But here's a question. I, I, we, we show, I wish that we had Lucky here right now. I would ask him. I wonder if... Adam had gotten laid. Do you think he would have dropped her, or do you think he would have stuck around and had a girlfriend? Because I still see it being the same way. I feel like he would have gotten in her pants, and then like he'd avoid. He would have avoided her. Nah, I think I think he would have stayed. Really? I mean, what what else did he do wrong to her before that? I mean, he just moved on awful quick, man. My boy. I just... mean, the dude warned her, and I mean, he didn't directly address it, but. When you go, what the fuck? I think somebody knows they did something wrong. But I mean, I mean, she even reacted like she knew she was wrong. But then the next week does it even more. Like, no, that's on her. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, I look, look, I do see your point. I do. Well, see, I don't know if it was next week, but their next date. The, I do understand where you're coming from, but I do still think that Adam could have been a little bit more helpful. I mean, when she bit like when she bit his lip that first time, like there should have been a talk. There should have been a hey. You know, I don't understand, I don't, like, you know, hey, uh, I don't like that. Like, you know, I, I like, I like watching movies of people getting cut up and stuff, but I don't cut people up. I don't like, you know, uh, I don't, I don't like that happening to me. And there was no talk. There was just like, what the fuck? Obviously she was off and I just like nobody acknowledged that. Nobody acknowledged her mental just instability. But I think, I think he just thinks she's naive, but like, I mean, when you respond with what the fuck, I don't think that's a reaction of like, yeah, more of that. <laughs> I mean, I I, he, I get you. Did he you, deserve but... to die over it, though? I mean, okay, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, he did. He did not deserve to die over it. either. He his dumped offenses... her badly. You don't. Yeah, no, he didn't deserve to die for that. Yeah, that's the ball again. May took it too far, but she uh, she just had you know one too many things happen to her. But I do, I do understand May. I feel that May could have been. How I, I mentioned that she's the embodiment of most horror fans. I feel that May could have been any. And I'm not trying to call anybody out there psychos or myself or you, John, but I feel that May could have really been any of like any horror fan, you know, just on a bad day. Like that could be anybody on a bad day, like just taking things to the extreme and not meaning to and just fuck just un just things unraveling. Uh, I understand how it happened. I feel bad for her. I mean, you don't I have get to. It. She 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 took it too far now. That's yeah, she did. I mean, that's where it's unexcusable. I can excuse it up to a point, but once you ki once you killed my girl Anna Ferris, it was just like, Come on, man, like no. What was your favorite kill? I'd have to say that uh, that's a pretty good question, actually. But I'm gonna. Go, I guess it's gonna be Adams because uh, of the way that like she uses like a knife on him, the way she kind of like f like fake uses the knife on him, uh, his prop knife. She uses on him kind of earlier in the movie, and then like she actually he actually dies from getting stabbed in the neck, and that's like. Again, uh, Polly's death, Anna Ferris's death was kind of elegant. I don't, Jeremy Sisters Adams, that was he just got stabbed in the throat. I don't feel like it was elegant at all. <laughs> uh, what about you? I don't, was there a the need cat? For... You said the cat was that no, I said that was 
fuck she she was fucked up for that. Okay. Uh the 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 punk rocker guy. Like, yeah. Did, did he have a name? Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. If it's it mentioned, it's not. Head. It's not. Said but he a got lot, the but... scissors to the top of the head, right? <laughs> was, was, was was that him? It got the scissors. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that was rough. That was rough. I, yeah. That was that was, <laughs> that was a good one though. <laughs> that was a good one. Dude, he gets killed right after. I forgot about this. How he gets killed? He goes to like he's just he's very see he's more of a dick than Adam was. He just met this girl 20 minutes ago. He He's in her apartment just, like, helping himself to the fucking freezer. Like, you go to the freezer, so that means you cooking a meal. You're not, like, getting a drink. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> so he's more of an asshole than, than Adam because he helped himself to a refrigerator. When he goes to open her freezer and May starts freaking out, it was like, don't open it, don't open it. The fucking cat is frozen in the freezer. Another one, we get like, what the fuck? I mean, that's like the best, like, like dead cat scenario since her finding the, uh, finding the dead cat and uh, reanimator. I was gonna say that when they find him in the uh, fridge. Uh, why can't I think of the movie Boondock Saints? Oh, when Rocco (laughs) shoots the cat! Oh my god, what color was it, bitch? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um. So yeah, I've been like I've said, I've been a fan of this movie for since it came out. I've turned everybody, like a bunch of friends, onto it, and nobody's ever rejected me. Most of them have even bought it. My wife loves it. I love it. It's got total rewatchability. Nine out of ten. Uh, I I'd probably go like seven point eight. Okay. But uh, I mean, it's definitely good. What? One of the better movies of the early 2000s. I kind of feel like after the ni- the late 90s into the early 2000s was just a dip in horror, but I feel like this one's uh, definitely one you need to check out from the early 2000s. All right, now I think it's time to get on to Burn and Learn, a segment of our show where Drew and I fill you in on behind-the-scenes facts about the movie we're talking about, and in this case, May. Oh. This one's pretty interesting. Uh, Leslie Keel, the DP, made May's doll Susie by hand in just 72 hours. Damn. Like, over the course of three days, that thing was made. That was pretty detailed, too. Make me one. I want one in my collection. Wow. <laughs> Man, that thing was pretty big, though. Yeah, right? I guess it, I guess it wouldn't be as big as your Chucky one. No. <laughs> uh, Mike McKee, Lucky McKee's father, plays Dr. Wolf in the film. Okay, so uh, if you're familiar with this film, uh, you, you know the infamous veterinary scene with the dude talking about his dog. The three-legged dog story in this movie is true. Uh, the guy who comes into the vet's office and says you know, that he leaves his house and his dog has all of its legs and then he comes back home and it only has three legs and he can't find the fourth leg. Uh, Lucky McKee's sister worked at a vet clinic and actually told him this story and he thought it was just so fucking crazy that he put it in the movie. Damn, that is pretty crazy though. As the glass of Susie's breaks, Mary's sanity breaks. The glass represents May's sanity. Uh, May's creation is comprised of Adam's hands, Blank's torso. Blank is the fucking punk. That was his name, Blank. Blank's torso and arms and Polly's neck, Ambrosia's legs, and presumably Loopy the cat and the cloth on the head with her former doll Susie's eyes until May decides to sacrifice one of her own eyes at the end, as we discussed. Every victim in the movie other than Adam is killed in the neck or higher. 
Lupe the cat is killed by an ashtray thrown at the back of its head. Uh, Blank is uh, killed with a pair of scissors to the forehead. Polly is killed uh, with her neck, like we said, having her throat slit from two scalpels. Ambrosia is killed with two scalpels to the side of the forehead. And May kills herself by the stab wound to her eye. However, Adam's attack the same way May stabs him with the retractable knife earlier in the film in the stomach. And also, another small fact, Polly, at the beginning of the film, stabs the eye of her half-carved pumpkin. That's right, she stabs him in the stomach, and I said she stabs him in the neck. That was my mistake. It is absolutely in the stomach. Does that change your favorite kill? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with Blank, and, and now that I can remember his name, yeah, Blank, uh, for sure, his scissors to the uh, scissors to the head works. Anyway, and, and as we discussed, um, May's, co- May's Halloween costume is a replica of her doll, Susie, so again, that's pretty cool. All right, well, uh, now let's talk to the director himself, Lucky McKee, and see what else he can fill us in on about this movie. Our guest today is the director of the film that we're talking about today, May. He also directed The Woods, The Woman, and All Cheerleaders Die. Welcome, Lucky McKee. Thank you for being on High on Horror. Hey, thanks for having me. So what's going on, man? Um, what can you tell us about your upcoming film, Old Man? Um, yeah, Old Man is, a, is a, a film I made kind of at the height of the pandemic. Uh, we shot it uh, February of last year. Um, it stars Stephen Lang and Mark Center. Um, and it's about this old man who lives in a cabin up in the Smoky Mountains and a stranger shows up at his door. And the movie is basically kind of a kind of a chamber piece, basically, where these two guys are trying to figure out who each other are. And it just kind of gets gets more and more surreal and, and kind of trippy as it goes along. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy with it. It should be coming out in the fall. Okay, great. Is it going to get a theatrical run or is it going to be a straight to video? Or a video uh, on demand. I mean, yeah, I think I think it'll play play it, it it'll it'll play a, a handful of cities and theaters, and you know, and then it'll do the video on demand and streaming and all of that kind of stuff. So okay, excellent. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's in a good position. I'm I'm really really happy. We've we've got a. I, it, it was a really special experience making that movie. Stephen Lang, I I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with him. He's done a ton of ton of great stuff over the years, and this is a this movie is a is a tremendous showcase for for the skill set that guy has as an actor. Um, uh, it, it, you know, I mean, the whole movie hinges on 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 his performance. You know, um, he's he's doing most of the talking in the movie, <laughs> <laughs> so. Real, real long runs of dialogue for him to remember, and the whole thing takes place in real time, which I had never done. I got to shoot the movie. Um, another thing I, I don't get to do very often is I got to shoot the movie in chronological oh, order. Nice. Um, usually, you shoot things in all sorts of pieces all over the place, but because of the nature of this thing, it was based on a stage play, um, and we did what we could in, in developing the script and trying to turn it into something that was much more cinematic, expressive in a cinematic way. Um, but still the, most of the story pretty much takes place in a linear fashion. So to be able to shoot a movie, to be able to start a shoot at the beginning of a movie and then work your way to the end was, was, was a real luxury. 
That sounds awesome. I, uh, we can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah, Stephen Lang, uh, that, that, that says enough right there, you know, and then, you know, put your name above the title. That's, that's also, that adds to it. Um, so uh, I, I got to ask you, though, real quick. Uh, you're on High on Horror, so we ask all of our guests this. Uh, are you a smoker? I've been known to smoke. Is, is, is smoking your preferred method, or uh, do you like edibles more? Uh, yeah, I like, I like, yeah. I like to smoke weed. <laughs> it's, it's all fun, you know, but, you know, obviously, you know, with work and, and, and uh, family and all the stuff that I've, I, I'm into, um, not a lot of time for it, but, um, but yeah. And uh, obviously you have a lot of horror on your resume. Uh, what attracted you to the horror genre? Um, you know, I think uh, you can be really creative on a low budget. It's, 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 it's not, uh, it's not, it's not really a star based genre. I mean, obviously it helps if you have a star in your movie, but you can make something where the genre itself sells the film, you know? Um, I thought that was really attractive and, and, uh, I've always kind of leaned towards dark stories. I'm a real big fan of, of, uh, of fairy tales and, 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 uh, uh you know, uh, folklore and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that that, you know, there's a real connection between horror and that stuff, you know, campfire tales, basically, um, those stories we tell each other at night to spook each other or to, you know, uh, you know, for, for, for mothers, I think that, you know, fairy tales and those kind of things were, were used as, as, as a cautionary tales for their little kids. You know, if you act like, you know, imagine if you had a wicked stepmother, you know, like you should be thankful that you have a nice mother and, you know, and, and I love the logic of fairy tales, you know, which I think lends itself to horror really well too. I mean, May is very much a film that was made with a fairy tale sort of logic where it's like, I don't have a friend, so I'll make a friend out of these pieces of people. It's very kind of like a psychological expression of an emotional thing, you know? Um, yeah. And uh, what, what films like really brought you into the genre as a fan? Uh, the, well, the, the first thing that I remember really scaring me when I was a kid was the wizard of Oz was the, the wicked witch and the wizard of Oz when I was really little, um, was, was, uh, really freaked me out and her little monkeys, especially like her little flying monkeys. Like yeah. there's those things, those things still kind of freak me out. Um, but I think that it, it really kind of took its hold. Gosh, how old was I? Probably about like eight or nine years old. Um, for my sister's birthday, all those years ago, uh, we didn't have a VCR, but for our birthdays, we were able to rent a VCR and a couple movies to go with it. And for my sister's birthday one year, uh, her, our cousin, uh, convinced her to rent a bunch of horror movies. So, that in one night we watched uh psycho three uh carrie and the hitcher um oh nice and that that night of just you know i was with my cousins who are all these very tall <laughs> everybody's really tall on, on, on that side of the family so these very tall girls i was like the one boy in the situation with my sister and a couple of my cousins and we just sat there and just got freaked out in the dark. We lived in, I lived in a house in the middle of nowhere in the country. So that made it extra freaky. And it was just one of those things where you're afraid to walk down the hall to the bathroom and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And we just had, just had a blast getting scared. And I just, I just kind of got hooked on it from there on out, you know, and I've been hooked ever since you know, most, almost my entire life, you know. Yeah, it usually starts early. The bugs usually gets planted yeah. early. <laughs> that, yeah, so that's the case with you as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. 
Yeah. And you know, my, my son, I mean, we, we obviously, we don't show him a bunch of crazy like horror movies or anything like that. And we're not really, you know, my wife and I aren't really, we don't have like a bunch of horror stuff around our house or anything like that, but he just, for some reason, he's, he's just really into that stuff, man. Like he's just so excited to go to spirit Halloween. And like one of his first favorite movies was nightmare before Christmas. And he just, he kind of has that same bug, but at an even earlier age than I did, you know, He's, and he's always drawing these really strange pictures and, you know, uh, so yeah. And maybe it's in the blood. I don't know. That's hilarious because I swear to God, uh, my son is four years old, my son, Abel, and he is the same way I, I shield him from it, but it's like, he still, whatever he sees, he sees enough of to just love it. And it's like, I, he does the same thing. Like he'll like, he'll literally just be like, I want to be Jason. And I'm like, you know, nothing yeah. about Jason. Why do you want to play Jason? You know? And, and he also, he does the same thing. Like, yeah, my, my, Son does the same yeah, they thing. Just pretend. I, I did. I, you know, I had to tell my son that he, he, he my, my, my son saw Jason's big machete and he was like, "What's that?" And I, I kind of stopped for a second. I'm like, "Okay, what do I say here?" And I was like, "It's a, it's a, it's a giant butter knife. <laughs> he, he just butter, he butters people's toast." <laughs> so, so uh, <laughs> he's walking around thinking that Jason is buttering people's toast with his giant butter knife. Oh, well, so. that's- the best I can do on the spur of the moment. The, uh, TV know? edit version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, well, uh, anyway, back to your uh, t- to you. Um, most directors nowadays start their career with like a plethora of short films before they do feature-length projects. And, uh, you know, your, your career isn't sure. like that. You've done a few shorts here and there, but you kind of went headfirst into like full movies. If you look at your IMDb list, it's like you jumped right into feature-length movies. Why do you think that is? Uh, I, you know, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, I, I was lucky to get to make my first feature at a pretty young age, but you know, I started, I started, you know, making movies when I was like, you know, 12 years old, you know, we, we were shooting stuff. So I did make a lot of short films. Just nobody saw them. Okay, you okay. know, I, I made a lot of short films growing up. I, I, you know, when I got the bug to make movies, I, I you know, when I was, when I was kind of in elementary school, I thought I'm going to become, I was really into comic books because I never, I lived in a really rural area. So I never really got to go to the movies or see a lot of movies. So comic books, you know, you could go to the little mom and pop grocery store and get comic books. So that was kind of what got me interested in, in, in visual narrative. Um, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll write and draw comic books, but I kind of discovered that no matter how hard I tried, I, I didn't really have a, a, a real gift for drawing. Um, and I tried really, really hard, but then I would see another kid that would just kind of effortlessly draw something. And I was like, okay, I don't have that gift. And around that time I was realizing that it was, was admitting that to myself. Uh, I met a kid that had a, had an old video camera and we shot a little Freddie movie one weekend. And then immediately after that, I was like, I need, you know, I, I, I got a summer job at a horse ranch and I shoveled shit and fed horses for three months and bought my first video camera. Um, and just started shooting. I've been shooting shorts ever since then. And then, then I went to uh, film school at USC and, uh, we were immediately starting to make things with our video cameras and stuff. And we had super eight classes and, and, uh, you know, so there, you know, I did have a training ground, you know, it just, I just happened to luck out that, you know, that a script that I wrote when I was in college was remembered by somebody that I went to college with, who was starting a production company a few years later. And, uh, you know, I think I, I started working on, uh, working on May, knowing it was going to be something that was going to get made when I was about like 23 to 24 years old, you know? Um, 
So I was really, I was really lucky in that regard. Um, but you know, even since then I've made, I've, you know, I've, I made a music video, you know, a few months ago, you know, that, that I put out and I love making shorts. And I think that it's a great ground for experimenting. And I, I, I would suggest that anybody that's starting out in filmmaking to definitely, you know, shoot, you know, a good amount of short films before you start, try tackling a feature a, because, uh, it's better to fuck up on something where there are, where the stakes aren't as high. Um, and, uh, B you make a short film, you, you get that, you get that sense of accomplishment a lot quicker and a lot easier, you know, uh, like, you know, if I make a five minute short and I, I do everything I can to make that as good as I possibly can, it doesn't take you a year to do that. Hopefully it doesn't take you a year. Maybe you're animating it. Maybe it does, but, um, but just get out there and shoot stuff and cut stuff and experiment and try stuff and find your voice by making those films. You know, I think most filmmakers and including me, when you start out, you're copying your favorite stuff. The first thing I made was, a, was my own Freddy movie, you know, and then I tried to do like a star Wars thing with like my star Wars toys and shit like that. And I uh, was really fascinated by special effects and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a million ways to get into it, you know, but, um, but for me, if you want to be a director, you got to you got to just be making films, you know, and now, you know, people, you can literally shoot and cut and do sound design on your phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I don't know how to do any of that shit on my phone, <laughs> but uh, I'm old. So. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to do any of that shit either. And I, I definitely I've never tried to direct a movie before. So I yeah. mean, if I did try it, I would not. I mean, I guess it would be easy to try it on your phone because it's like free. But I would just feel like I just a first movie on my phone. It's just going to be fucking terrible. I don't even know if it's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Most, most, yeah, but most first films are terrible, you know, but it's better to, to do it with a short film and let that be terrible and then learn from that and then take it into the next one and, you know, hopefully do something a little bit better and build your confidence. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Build your confidence. So when you step onto a set, you know, the worst thing would be to step on a set on your first day and have no fucking clue what you're doing. You know, um, you got to have an idea of where to put the camera. You have to have an idea, you know, it's, it's, it's well and good to sit by yourself in a room and think about how to make a movie and have all these, you know, these ideas about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it and stuff. But until you get in a room with other people that you're trying to communicate your ideas to and you're trying to spark them so they bring good ideas to the table, I think that that's, that's one of the big thing, things I don't hear talked about enough is, is uh, the virtues of collaboration and, and, and you know, if, if you're a director, you don't have to show up on a set and have all the answers to everything. You're, you're like a spark plug, you know, to, to an engine, you know, you come in with an idea and you, you, you listen to those people around you and you, you're a filter that all that stuff goes through and hopefully you make the right decisions and you, you make something cool, you know, but the collaborative aspect of filmmaking is, is really like, like one of the greatest things about it. I don't think enough people talk about it. It makes sense. I, I think, you know, a lot of movies would benefit from having a group head as opposed to just one head, you know, like it makes total sense. Um, but, uh, yeah. so, okay. Uh, so may came out like 20 years ago. I mean, it widely circulated about 19 years ago, but like, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And like, how, how does that make yeah. you feel? And I got to ask, where does, how does it make you feel? And where does may rank on like your favorite films made list? Uh, Maze, Maze, Maze really, really special to me because it was my first one. Um, my, my first one by myself. I had, I had previously, I'd, you know, 
uh, kind of learned how to make a feature by making like a backyard zombie movie with my friend Chris Severson that we co-wrote, co-directed, co-edited, co-shot. You know, when I was holding the boom, he was holding the camera. And we literally just split the duties down the middle. And, you know, uh, he would he edited half the scenes. I edited half the scenes. We polished it together. We did all the sound design. We learned how to do that. And then shortly after that, I got the opportunity to make May by myself. If I hadn't made that backyard zombie movie, I would have been even more behind, I think. Um, uh, but you know, I had really good people around me. I had Steve Yedlin shooting it. Um, Steve's gone on to shoot stuff like Looper and, uh, Knives Out and The Last Jedi and stuff like that. And, and Ryan Johnson, who directed all those films was my editor. Um, so I had really, really smart, great people around me, you know, and my production designer, Leslie Keel was incredible. And, you know, even our second unit DP is shooting gigantic movies now, you know, but this was, this was, this was our little group of friends that, that had formed up to that point, uh, largely people that I had met in film school. And we were like a little band. Uh, this may was the first movie that our group that, that was ours that we got to make. That was one of ours. It wasn't us crewing on somebody else else's movie or, or contributing to some, you know, some, it was like our, for our band, that was the first one that, that got made. And it was really special for all of us for that reason. You know, and shortly after that, Chris Severson got to make his first feature and Ryan made brick and, and Yedlin started shooting more and more things. And it just, it all kind of grew from there. So, uh, as far as where it stands, I mean, there's no comparison for where, for where May stands in the filmography because it was, you know, it was our first shot, you know, it was our foot in the door, you know, and we didn't, and we didn't entirely fuck it up. You know, we still had careers after that, you know? Um, I can't, yeah, I, I, I don't know in terms of like, are you trying to get at like, like kind of overall my movies or just where does May stand and with the rest of my movies? Yeah. Overall. Overall. Yeah. Well, I guess that, that about, that about explains it, you know, but the, you know, and then after that, I got to make a studio film called the woods, um, for MGM. And that was a big learning curve. Cause I was going from, uh, you know, this little $400,000 movie may to like an $8 million studio movie. And then all of a sudden I, you know, I was, I was like 20, 27 years old at that time. You know, that was a big deal. That was like, I'd skipped all these grades in school to do this big studio movie. Um, and there was hard knocks along that way, but I still ended up making a movie I was pretty happy with, you know. Um, but they're they're all special for their own re- for their own reasons. I mean, even the worst piece of shit I, I ever made, this movie called Blood Money with John Cusack, uh, I still learned a lot of stuff by having that experience. You know, I, I learned a lot that that made me you know dig my heels in deeper on on the stuff that could protect the movie from getting train wrecked like that one did, you know, and I had, I had a movie called red that was like that too, that kind of blew up in my face. But then I made the woman on the heels of that, you know? So all of those, every single filmmaking experience, you always end up meeting a few cool people, you know? Uh, and, and sometimes a lot of cool people and you take those ones with you and you leave behind the shitheads, you know? Um, and, and you just, you just keep trying to refine like, okay, what makes me happiest when I'm doing this? You know, the, the other consideration obviously is like keeping the lights on in your house, you know? Um, and you have to, you have to ask yourself the question of how much, how much bullshit can I take and how much bullshit will I put up with in order to, you know, do this thing that I love to do. And that's, it, it's, you know, it's a case by case basis, you know, um, some things you're doing more to, 
you know, to keep your lights on and other stuff you're doing more just because, you know, it's just burning in your guts and you got to do it. You know, it's a weird thing when your job is tied up in something that you love so much, you know, and then that, 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 that gets, that can get preyed upon, especially when you're young, you can get preyed upon by people that know how much it means to you and they really take advantage of you and how people get exploited, you know? So one of my big goals as I've been making more and more movies is to always help, you know, uh, help the people in my circle or the people that I meet along the way, like, especially if they're getting into making their first movies, I try to, you know, give them advice or guidance that keeps them from, from stepping in those same potholes I did at a young age. Yeah. Uh, uh, you had mentioned that Ryan Johnson, uh, was one of the editors on the film and you were an actor in his short film, uh, evil demon goofball from hell. Was there something that you noticed? Evil demon golf ball, evil, evil, I'm sorry. Yes. Golf ball. Uh, was there yeah, anything yeah, uh, working yeah. with him that that you saw that you know he would go go on to have the success that he's had? The first short film I saw, I met Ryan my first day of my freshman year at USC, and uh, over the course of the next week or two, as everybody was getting to know each other, that and still a lot of the people that were just on that dorm floor are still really tight. You know, Chris Sievertson, Steve Yedlin, Ryan Johnson, our friend Todd Tomadavia is a DP. Um, John Luckett, she ended up doing the score for May and a bunch of my other stuff. All these people were just kids that were put on the same dorm floor their first year at USC. Um, early on at that time, Ryan showed me some movies he'd shot on VHS, and then he showed me some Super 8 films that he had made the previous year. And you just knew immediately this guy is gonna this guy's gonna be running everything at some point. He just has it, you know. It was very intimidating, you know. Um, but in our, in our group of friends, I think everybody kind of always felt that Ryan and Steve, they were kind of a duo, his DP, um, that they were kind of the top of the mountain in terms of just like, wow, these guys are so gifted, you know? Um, yeah, you just knew right away, you know? And, and from, you know, by the time I got my foot in the door with something like May, I was, I was help, trying to help bang on every door I could to help Ryan get his first movie made because I knew he was going to be a fucking sensation in anything he did, you know? The guy... He's a genius, you know, um, and, a, and, a, and a really good person, like a really nice, good person that hasn't been changed by all of his his, his success, you know. Um, but, yeah, you could tell immediately it was, it, you know, that, that he had something that, you know, that not a lot of people have, you know, an, an ability with with the medium that was that was effortless in a way that, you know, like I said, was intimidating and also just kind of like, you're just like in awe of it, you know, we all learned a lot from him and, and, you know, we helped him on, we, we all played musical chairs on each other's films when we were coming up, you know what I mean? Like I would act in his thing and then he would come over and help me cut something. And, you know, it was always like, it, and it's still like that with all of our friends. We still, you know, give each other, you know, notes and encouragement on anything that we're working on. And, um, we're really lucky that we have like our little core group of friends, you know, I think most people can relate to their, their group, you know, like their tribe, you know? So. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, you had said that, uh, that the story of may, uh, was heavily inspired by taxi driver. And, uh, once you said that in the commentary, yeah, that clicked immediately when you said that I thought, Oh shit. But, but like I had, but you never said, and so I have to ask you, what were your other influences? Was it just taxi driver or like what else was there? No, 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 no. The, the, the other, the other big influence was Nirvana. 
Um, oh, Nirvana's okay. my favorite, my favorite band. They, they hit me when I was, uh, about 15 years old. They just totally changed the way I looked at everything. You know, I saw, I came from the sticks, man. I was fucking, you know, not a lot of money and just living on, you know, living on five acres in the middle of nothing. And, and about, you know, went to a very rural high school and all that comes with that. Uh, and, uh, I saw these guys go up on Saturday night live and they, they, they weren't polished, you know, they, they, there was a rawness about them and there was, it was imperfect, but it was like, so like emotional what they were doing. And that just lit a fire in my head about, you know, uh, about everything, you know? Um, so the doll imagery, I think comes from, 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 you know, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of doll imagery and that kind of stuff and Kurt Cobain's art and, 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 and his lyrics and everything. And, and, uh, I think that that kind of found its way in there that way. I was also really enamored with the, with uh, this painter, um, John Williams Waterhouse, who's a pre-Raphaelite oil painter. I'm trying to think of something. Lady of Shallot would be his mo- one of his most famous paintings, or Shallot, God, Shallot. Uh, I don't know which way to which way is the right way to say that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, the pre pre raphaelite oil painters, these guys that just wrote. You, you'd recognize. You look them up. You get a chance. So I was really enamored with those kind of paintings. So that was an influence on you know the production design and the lighting and everything. Um, there's a Roman, early Roman Polanski film called Repulsion with Catherine Deneuve. That's, uh-huh. um, I don't know Good if you've movie. seen it, but uh, it's a fucking trip, man. And just the way that her environment decays around her as she's going mad, you know, that, that kind of, I think that that maybe was an inspiration for the doll case cracking and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and then obviously the, the other big one is fucking Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you know, that, that book, uh, I read that at a very young age and, uh, was so amazed by the book because I'd seen, you know, different movie iterations of it, but the book showed me the monster's perspective, you know, and, and, and right. there was these several chapters where you're in the monster's point of view and what he's going through. And I just, thought there was something really powerful about that he wasn't just a monster that there was you know there's real human qualities there and, and and real longing to be accepted and all that kind of stuff you know and she wrote that when you know i i wrote i wrote my first incarnation of may when i was around that you know in those kind of angsty teenage years you know um so that's the other thing that the, the you know the primary influence on the whole thing is just me my what i was going through in my life right you know like uh, having trouble making friends or, or talking to girls or, or, you know, all that stuff was kind of wrapped up in that story, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and that's the thing, you know, I actually, I'm one of the people that I feel bad for May. I do. I feel for her, even though she's a creep, I feel for her. So like, would you say that your goal in writing May was to kind of like make the audience sympathize with a creep from like their perspective? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yes, she does end up murdering a bunch of people and killing, killing her cat, killing her cat seems to upset people more than anything, which is kind of funny. Cause she kills like five people. Um, but the cat, that's where, that's where it crossed the line for them. I draw, um, I draw the line there. <laughs> I know. I love my cat, but, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all, uh, you know, it's all, like I said, a visual expression of a, of a, of a, of a psychological idea. Right. You know, like, how often have you met somebody that 
there's this just awesome like rush of excitement and they're so cool and stuff. But then the more you hang out, you start to see kind of qualities about them. And I'm just talking about like personality traits where you're just like, fuck man, that guy, you know, like that, that, that person is an asshole to waiter to waiters. You know what I mean? Or, or, or something like that. You just wish that you could kind of cut away those, those little aspects that you don't like. So, you know, May was like, okay, you know, kind of jumping off the Frankenstein thing. It was like, um, you know, do that in a physical way, you know, that, that's where it gets into like the fairy tale logic, like in the original Cinderella, when the stepsisters can't get their feet into the shoes, my shoe, my foot doesn't fit in the shoe. I'll cut my heel off, you know, or I'll cut my toes off right, and then right. it'll fit, you know, that kind of logic is just <laughs> kind, of, kind of freaky, you know? So. Yeah, absolutely. It, it works perfect, though. Um, and, and I don't think you could have found a more perfect actress than uh, Angela Bettis. I mean, she was incredible. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. You know, and that, you know, I think the reason that we're still talking about the movie twenty years later is largely because of her, um, and largely because the theme of the film is loneliness and and feeling outcast and awkward. And I mean, how many horror fans are out there that like? feel that way or have felt that way growing up at least you know there's a lot of people i think that can identify <laughs> identify with just feeling like other and feeling like i don't say the right thing at the party or I'm, I'm the kid that sat on the bleachers at the dance and i wasn't in the middle of the dance floor and you know uh all the pain and that, that goes on with that you know i tried to put all of that stuff that i had gone through into that into that vessel which was which was angela and uh she just you know, she just, she understood it on like a molecular level, what I was trying to do, you know? Uh, and she was just so good at, you know, listening to what I said and then putting it through her filter and then expressing that. And, and, you know, as an actor, um, she's incredible, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the entire success of the movie hinges on her, you know, and she just nailed it. You know, she broke her heart. Right, and uh, uh, she actually, Angela actually came back for uh, for the woman. How did she get involved in that? Uh, you know, it, you know, at that time in my life, I was asking Angela to be in anything I did. I knew she couldn't play the woman because the character had been established. So when Ketchum and I were writing the book, I wrote this this you know this family, you know, uh, and it just you know it just Angela was the first person I asked, you know, and then Angela was friends with Sean Bridgers, who ended up playing the dad and that's kind of how things start to work when you get deeper into your career. It's not, you know, that movie was, I think the only person, the casting director, director actually found was the, was the young son, Zach Rand. And it was a great find. I mean, that was worth having a casting director just for that. But the rest was just, you know, my producer had worked with Laura and Ashley Carter on a previously previous film. And I met her and liked her and thought she was a good match. If Angela was going to play her mom and, uh, you know, like I said, Angela was from, you know, I'd made a few things with her at that point and she was friends with Sean Bridgers and Polly was coming from the previous movie. So that whole cast kind of fell together, you know, and the teacher character was an ex-girlfriend of mine. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it all kind of came together that way. But, um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, after May, I was asking Angela to be in everything, obviously, because we had such a great experience, you know? 
unfortunately we haven't been able to work with each other in a while well um the woman while we're on the woman uh i just wanted to say that uh compared to your other films and i know you know you you uh, as you had mentioned you wrote the book with uh jack ketchum and uh you know his his stuff's always really dark and serious mm-hmm. and uh i wanted to know like when you made the woman when you directed it like comparing it to may which is pretty grim in itself you know and then like all cheerleaders die and things like that the woman is such more of a darker and like hardcore film so did you take that as a as a director did you say hey here's a chance for me to do some sick shit that i don't normally or can't normally do and i get to do it kind of yeah i mean i I was i was really angry (laughs) i was really angry at that time in my life um i had i had the last film i had tried to make was an adaptation of jack ketchum's red and i got about halfway through shooting that movie and had a falling out with the 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 powers that be um and the movie got shut down halfway through and then you know uh it didn't make sense for me to come back into that situation because it seemed like it was going to be more of the same. So another director took over the film and shot the rest of it and finished it, which was just really, really hard on me. That was a really heartbreaking experience. I mean, I felt like I was never going to make movies again. So when the opportunity to do the woman came up, I, uh, I was just coming from, I was coming from kind of an angry, mean place, you know? Um, uh, and I think that just that just came out in the movie, you know. Um, I wanted to make something with real bite, you know, and and I felt like I'd been I'd been pegged as a horror director, and I didn't, you know, I didn't. I think depending on the advertising, you could have made, you know, May isn't, you know, not that it's bad to be a horror movie, but I think that there's a there there's other there's cross pollination from other genres in there as well, you know, uh, you know, the taxi drivers and the the uh, 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 romantic, even there's romantic comedy elements in it and all this kind of stuff. I try to kind of put that mixture of things I like into something. So, um, the woman was kind of like, okay, you want a fucking horror movie? <laughs> Do something <laughs> that makes you really fucking uncomfortable. Cause at that time I felt like American horror had been, was kind of soft at that point in my eyes. Um, and I felt like, like, yeah. uh, not that it's a competitive thing, but the way I put it back then, it was like, we're getting our ass kicked by these guys over in France that are making like fucking high tension and, 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 and inside and martyrs and, and just these yeah. really, really fucking hardcore movies, man, that like really, really were deeply upsetting, but like also like really expressive and really had something to say. So this, I think that was kind of me kind of trying to like, you know, throw my hat into the ring on that, that kind of thing. You know, at that point, plus I was working with Jack Ketchum, you know what I mean? You're not, I'm not going to tell, you know, that guy's, he's about as hardcore as it gets. If you've ever read his book. Um, yeah, uh, really yeah, hardcore. Um, so there was, there was an element of, uh, you know, since red, you know, red was supposed to be my Jack Ketchum movie. This is going to be my Jack Ketchum movie. So it was almost like in my mind, I was kind of doing like, the greatest hits of all the themes and the, the, the type of stuff that Jack Ketchum does that I love so much. Um, so it was almost like a, you know, like a compilation album or something like that, or like a tribute album, you know, to the type of the stuff he does, you know, uh, the torture elements of the girl next door, the, the cannibal elements of, of off season and offspring, uh, 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 the, the, the real, discomfort that I feel in, in, in uh, just a scene of two people sitting in a car and in a novella he wrote called the passenger, you know, uh, kind of tried to get all those was really trying to get all those flavors in there, you know, 
and that's the way the movie come out. I, I, it might, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that might be the meanest movie I ever make. I think <laughs> hopefully yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. It's, 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 it's mean, you know, and I can understand why it's not for everybody, you know, but that was also the first movie that I had the chance to make. And I'd been making movies for about eight or nine years, professionally making movies for about eight or nine years at that point. And it was the first one where I felt like I accomplished exactly what I set out to do. Uh, it looked like I wanted it oh, to nice. look. It had, it had the music, you know, and there's people that don't like the music I used in it. And I get it. You know what I mean? If you don't like that kind of music, you don't like that kind of music. Um, and it's very abrasive on purpose, you know, like the volume goes from pin drop quiet to really fucking loud. It's that Nirvana dynamic that I've always played with in my movies, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that was the first one. And I had total creative freedom. I had final cut on paper, you know, no one could take my cut away from me. I could do exactly what I wanted. So warts and all, that was the first one that I got to where I had, I had just all the space I needed, you know, the, the only, the only obstacle was just the budget, you know, how do you do all this stuff for the very tiny budget that we have, but we pulled it off, I think, you know? Oh yeah, you definitely did. And it's funny because, uh, my wife, when I first met my wife, she wasn't a big horror fan and, uh, she wasn't that big on horror and, uh, she's very, very smart, very nerdy, you know, like, like seriously, she could be a rocket scientist. I have no idea why she fucks around with me, (laughs) but you know, she's super smart. And she, uh, when I met her, she had written this paper, uh, that she was like getting like, like rave reviews on in school. And she had written a paper about a feral child. And I was like, oh, you know, I was like, well, you know, like I'm mm. trying to goad her into watching a horror movie with me. And finally, like, I was like, I, I, I think I got the hook. And I was like, you got to check this movie out called The Woman. And she watched it and she absolutely loved it. And I'm like, my God, this, this, this girl who like, oh, really? yeah, like this girl who like doesn't like horror wouldn't watch A Nightmare on Elm Street with me, even though she says it's cheesy. Like, and I throw it, I throw her <laughs> right into a, right into a hardcore film. And she watched it like three times without me. She like yeah. borrowed it. And I'm like, and then I got her into May and like, oh, like yeah, great. it's, it's like she actually became a fan based on i found the hook and it's like so it goes to show you that even though the woman's hardcore if the stories Wait, did you did you did you marry her before did, did you marry her before or after this happened after <laughs> good man <see>? yep exactly <laughs> that's all the proof you needed you know exactly but 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 the point <laughs> is great. i think that uh oh that makes me feel good yeah well it's just i think the point is that despite a movie being extreme if the story's strong enough people are going to be willing to sit past the extreme shit. And I think the woman was a very strong story and it was very well acted. Yeah. And you know, I had a lot of women and, and just people, not just women, but, but, but largely women come up and tell me that, that this movie was kind of, because the movie is very much about abuse. It's about domestic abuse in a couple of different forms. And, and uh, I think that there was a lot of people out there that kind of, had maybe not been in as extreme situations like that, you know, obviously the movie, it's a movie, so it's pretty fantastic. Um, but, but it, it really resonated with them in, in terms of being honest about, you know, what it's like to live under somebody's thumb in a house like that, you know, to have that, that domineering parent, uh, uh, that abuses, abuses their position as a parent, you know, um, so that's Absolutely. that's re- that's rewarding when people get something out of it, you know. It's not just throwing blood and guts to the camera just to get a visceral reaction, you know. It's actually getting under people's skin right. in a cool way, right. which is a goal, you know. Well, 
Exactly. Uh, well, um, okay, so back to May real quick. Uh, you mm-hmm. had a lot of Argento mentioned in, uh, in the film. Specifically, you specifically mentioned trauma and opera. So, like, mm-hmm. I want to know, like, just just because I know you're a horror fan, why those two movies? Because those are later Argento films. Like, did you find that, that those uh, just made more sense for May, or are those two that you're particularly fond of? Um, the trauma thing, I don't know. I think it was just trying to pick one that was a little bit more off the beaten path with Argento, just to show that this guy is like really into Argento. He doesn't just know Suspiria. He doesn't just know Tenebra. He knows fucking trauma. You know what I mean? And he's excited to watch it. A lot of people aren't, you know, a lot of people feel like it got to opera and then it all kind of went downhill from there. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I'm that guy, you know? Um, I learned something from every film he makes, even the ones that don't quite, didn't, didn't quite work for me, you know? just because I love his, his sensibility and I love his eye and I love his experimental nature, you know? Um, the opera thing, I think the opera thing, you're, you're talking about the artwork in his, in his, in his, in his apartment yeah. or his house yep. or whatever, I guess. Um, that kind of came from, we were, we were looking at this, this book I had of like the movies of Dario Argento or something. I can't remember the name of the book, Art of Darkness, I think is the name of the book. Uh, this really cool book that we just completely like the pages are falling out of it. Cause we were, we were looking at different things in it for references and my production designer just really liked that image of the girl with the, you know, with the needles taped under her eyes and that, you know, um, she, she commissioned, uh, this ar- artist she knew that, that worked with found objects and he kind of created this thing around that. And I mean, a lot of the, the, the gack that's around that opera picture is just the kind of Greek it. So we didn't have to pay for the rights <laughs> to use that imagery from that <laughs> film, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I obviously adore Dario Argento. Uh, he, it's, it's, it's not exactly the way I think a lot of people think that I just, I, I discovered Argento and then started doing what I do, but I discovered Argento kind of late in film school as I had kind of found my voice and kind of figured out how I wanted to approach things, the the kind of stories I wanted to tell. You know, I went into college thinking I wanted to make stuff like Star Wars and Indiana Jones, and I came out the other end wanting to make stuff like Taxi Driver and Sweetie and the piano, you know. Um, but I, and, and late in that game, I saw um, I saw Stendhal Syndrome was the first one I saw, and it, it tripped me out because he was he'd made this movie where he was using fine art and classical art and using that as a launch point for creating a lot of his visuals. And even Stendhal syndrome is really cool because it's about the power of that art and how that art can overpower you, um, uh, in an emotional and psychological way. Um, which I just identified because I'd been experimenting with ideas very similar to that in the, the super eight films I was shooting at the time, um, trying to recreate paintings that made me feel a certain way by, writing a story and then having, you know, you know, using that image to kind of launch into, you know, to, I don't know, to to give myself a certain feeling. And then when I saw Suspiria, I was like, Oh my God, this is, you know, this is like watching, you know, great paintings and sculptures move, you know, like the, so the artistry on display in, in his films was just so exciting to me and the abrasiveness, you know, the abrasiveness of his horror and the brutality of his horror. And then that getting into Argento opened up Italian horror of the, of the seventies to me. And that's just, there's just fucking treasure upon treasure. If you really go digging through that stuff, oh, you know, for sure. Oh man, the best stuff, you know, I just, I, I got, I got, 
one of the I, I just got a 4K player. I got a region free 4K player, and one of the first 4Ks I bought was Lucio Fulci's New York Ripper, which is a dirty movie. <laughs> it's just like like the sleaziest <laughs> shit you could ever watch. But I was just thinking, like, this is amazing that I'm watching. Like, I basically own a print of this movie now, and it looks better than it probably did when it came out. And you know, back in the day when I was younger, we were we were they had these mail order catalogs where you could buy bootleg VHSs. Or this guy would like tape tape uh, Japanese laser discs onto VHS, and that was you know. So all those movies I saw the first time with Japanese subtitles on them, you know. Um, <laughs> but just to think, going from those muddy bootlegs that where I discovered those films to like, oh my god, I have a fucking print of the New York River. This is amazing. Um, I just, I just love That's what awesome. they were doing over there at that time, you know, with very little money, but so creative, you know, like Lucio Fulci is a fucking master as far as I'm concerned, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no disagreement from us. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, I had yeah. an old tweet here from you from July of 2015, and you said that May wouldn't exist if it weren't for Amanda Plummer's character in The Fisher King. Uh, one sure. of my favorite yeah. films crushes me every time. Um, Me too. Uh, what exactly? Oh, wait, I said that. I thought, yeah, you, were, you, said I thought that. you were saying it crushes you every time. Yeah. Uh, what, what exactly uh, from the character of Lydia inspired the character of May? Was it just like her social conventions, or was there more than just that that she took? The awkward, yeah, that that awkwardness and that just just Amanda Plummer, you know, like she's just so alive. Whenever whenever a camera's on her, she's doing so. I got to work with her on on that movie Red later on, and we just really hit it off. She's she's operating on another plane, man. You know, you, you'd be talking to her before the cameras are rolling. You're like, what the fuck is she talking about? She's really out there, you know? And then you, you get her on set and you put the camera on her and she just, she's just fucking spectacular, you know? Um, yeah, it was just, it was that kind of depth of performance. Somebody that was that committed and that, you know, had all the quirks and all the, you know, all that stuff. And that, that really sweet, Inter, you know, uh, interplay between her and Robin Williams in there. You know, two kind of kind of out, outcast people finding each other. The, the beauty in that, you know, um, which is what May is kind of searching for in, in my story, but she never really, um, you know, she never really finds that other person. You know, she has to make it. You know, and uh, kind of somewhat of a follow up. I was going to ask if the uh, mother character was based on Joan Crawford at all, because she definitely gives off like my ma, ma, mommy dearest vibes. Uh, you know, I wasn't really, I wasn't really familiar with a lot of that stuff at that point when I, when I wrote that character, but, um, you know, if, if, if you, if you do get those feelings, there may be something to that. I, you know, the actress also may have been kind of keying on that sort of a thing, you know, cause I think that anybody that sees an overbearing mother in a thing is going to immediately think of mommy dearest, you know, um, sure it wasn't, Joe, it wasn't, it wasn't consciously, it wasn't, really yeah, it was. It wasn't consciously in my mind at that time. So. And uh, what 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 do you think was the final tipping point for May? Was it the kids smashing the doll, or was it just really just like the weight of everything? Yeah, I mean, it was, I actually had this uh, a situation with a longtime friend yesterday. Of all, just so this is real fresh, but it was some little thing that came up and it kind of made me kind of re-examine my relationship with this person. And I just, wait a second, you know, like, why am I, you know, uh, I don't know. It was, it was like a breaking point for me with that person. You know, I felt like I feel myself trying really hard to maintain a friendship and I don't feel that coming the other way. And it, it just kind of something clicked over in my head and I was like, you know what? Like, 
I need to not think about that anymore and just kind of concentrate on the people in my life that, that are, that there is an interchange with, that there is a, you know, an exchange with. And, you know, I think we all go through that. Um, and I think for May, it's, it, it's, you know, it's the, the situation with, with the, uh, where is it that she really, really snaps? I don't know where that breaking point is. There, it's it's a cumulative thing, really. You know, um, it's it's not. You know, like I said, like for me personally, what was going on yesterday? It was a little thing that somebody, a friend of a friend, said that that other person said, and it just kind of, it was just like that one extra thing that was like, you know what? Fuck this. <laughs> you know, uh, we can all we I think we can all relate to that. Whenever we snap, or we we really, you know. Uh, most people are pretty good at keeping themselves in control in their lives for the most part. Uh, but sometimes, man, just like one little thing will just fucking send you out the deep end, you know, but it's usually because it's on top of a larger thing, you know? Um, so for her, obviously it's, it starts with her mother and it goes all the way up to that point where she decides to start killing people. You know? Yeah. And the character of Polly and affairs does a great job. Was she somebody you had in mind coming off the, off scary movies? No, not at all. We, we, we auditioned, fuck, it seems like hundreds of hundreds of women, young women at that time. We saw a ton of people, you know, um, and we managed to get a meeting with Anna and, and, and she was just, just a firecracker, man. Like she's just like one of the most like naturally funny people I've ever met in my life. And just like, it just has this like energy coming out of her. You know, you feel that when you meet certain people, you know, they just have a thing, you know, they have it, <laughs> you know, um, and, and her, her whole thing, she obviously wasn't going to get paid very much to make the money. She was like, I just think I really want to play a lesbian. <laughs> like, okay, that's, that's great. So that was her whole motivation for doing it because it was something different than she'd been doing these kind of uh, airplane-esque scary movie things, you know, the, the, that those real kind of broad comedies. She saw it as a challenge and she took it on. She did a fucking killer job. She, oh, she brought yeah, so much humor, humor to it, you know. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, all the humor comes from her, and she does a great job. With yeah. It. Oh, man. She's fantastic. And she's like that in real life, too. She's just such a warm, hilarious person. She's just got kind of a goofy outlook on things. It just fucking cracks me up, man. And I got to ask, May kind of, uh, as you brought up, Frankenstein kind of creates her own person. Why, why didn't she get somebody else's eyeballs instead of using her lazy eye? Oh, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's her perceived flaw, you know, um, and by taking that out and separating it from, from, you know, the place where it's not functioning, she puts it in a place where it has function to her, you know, but who knows, that's man, she's sense. fucking crazy. Well, that's, that's also fair as well. <laughs> fair enough. I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, to me that, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, this, her eye was offending her, you know? So she took it out and put it put it to use in a different way. And uh, and you debuted the film first at Sundance. Did did you jo enjoy the experience of Sundance? Not at all. Not 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 showing the <laughs> film for the first time. Are you kidding me? I could barely stand up. I was sick in my stomach. It was like so fucking excruciating to share this thing. Uh, that was really hard to make, and and a lot of grief in the in the making process. Uh, you know me learning how to deal with spending other people's money for the first time, you know, uh, and the, just the way movies are made, it was all just kind of a shock to my system and ultimately made the movie I wanted to make, but 
not without, you know, taking some licks along the way. Um, but, uh, after we showed it after, after the first screening, it got better. <laughs> it was, it was easier to watch it with people. After that, I started really enjoying watching with people. <clears throat> and yeah, that was my first film festival, you know? Um, Sundance is a weird festival though, because it's really fucking cold. You can't breathe because it's so high in the mountains. There's like no fucking oxygen. People are passing out right and left all the time when you're there. It's really hard to get around the, the screening facilities. Um, left something to be desired i'd say um at that time um but uh it was still my first film festival so yeah it was really special it was really special and now initially when it initially debuted it didn't do well in theaters but it's really found a home as a cult classic now uh how does it feel to finally have your film get in the recognition it deserves that feels great man it's it's awesome that anybody remembers anything that you do you know like much less something from 20 years ago you know it's like uh, you know, like I said, I think that's a testament to what, what Angela did in that movie, you know, how she played it, you know? Um, but yeah, it feels good. It's, it's, it's a little bit frustrating sometimes when it, I, I get a feeling from a lot of people, I guess not online or people that I meet at conventions and stuff where, where I feel like I've made much better films since you know at least in terms of the craftsmanship you know because i was really learning you know it was my first movie you know so it's, it's got a lot of imperfection about it and it's got a lot of you know rough edges and it was really low budget and the technology was different back then we were shooting on 35 millimeter and we had very little time to shoot and all that kind of stuff um it's, it's it's a hard movie to get out from under is what i'm saying you know and it's like i made that when i was like 26 years old you know 20 you know 20 27 years old 26, 25, 26, I made that. So, you know, that was a movie I made when I was very young, you know, so um, it's hard to get out from under it. You know, my, my wife and I joked that I'm going to start a production uh, a production company called Not May Productions. Because <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to make that movie again. You know, I want, I want to try different shit. You know, I've, I've been kind of branching out into different genres in the last 10 years and it's been really fun, you know. And even, you know, like, like this movie Old Man I have coming out, it's the first thing I've made that, that is just men, you know, everything I've made has been, has centered on a woman, you know? Uh, so that was like an exciting new frontier for me. And I had a lot of fun with it, you know, so I hope people connect with it, you know? Um, but again, it's not a bad thing to have a movie that everybody remembers, you know, so they can't complain too much. There's the worst things you could be remembered for, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. So. And uh, one, one last question about May here. Uh, New York Times critic Stephen Holden in his refu review referred to the film as a slasher. And I've even seen Rotten Tomatoes refer to it as a slasher. I mean, it has some of those elements, but I never looked at it as a straight-up slasher film. Do you consider the movie a slasher? No. No, again, it's, 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 it's got el it's got elements, but it, but it has, you know, you can't deny that there's elements from that, from that stuff in there, you know? Uh, she does stab a person in the neck with a fucking scalpel. She stabs a dude in the head with a scalpel. And, you know, it has, it has some of those elements in it that were there for, you know, kind of like an emotional shock value, you know? Um, but to me, May is a character piece, you know, about a girl, you know, um, it's just a lonely person, you know? Um, but like I said, it's, 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 it's a lot of the stuff that was influencing me at that time from, 
romantic comedies to, to uh, horror films, to Scorsese films, to, you know, uh, just, you know, everything that I was into at that time, you know? Um, so to just call it a slasher film, I think to just call it that is, I take, take a little bit of issue with, but, you know, people can classify things whatever way they want as long as people are watching it. I mean, how many people are lucky enough to get somebody to mention their shit in the New York Times? That's True. cool, you know? So... Um, I, feel, I feel like, but, but I, but I, but, but that does that that did make me worry at the time that people were like think, coming in thinking they were going to see this like this wall of wall horror movie, and it's like all of a sudden we're just sitting there watching a girl cry in her apartment alone. Like, <laughs> what the fuck is that? You know, are they they're going, what the fuck is this all about? You know, like my new movie, Old Man. It's not a horror movie. You know, like uh, uh, it's it's got darkness in it, and it's got some it's got a couple you know some scary shit that happens in it, but it's not a horror movie. You know more like kind of like a psychological head trip sort of a thing, you know? Um, and I was concerned that, that it would be viewed that way, you know? Um, um, but I think that people that like the type of stuff I've done will still, will still like it a lot because it has, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the flavors I like in it. And uh, besides uh, old me, and do you have any other projects coming up? Uh, nothing I can speak too much about, you know, I, I, I'd spent on either side of old man. I spent time, um, under, I unearthed a, a, a script that was, was always intended to be my second movie, my movie after May, the movie that I really wanted to make after May, another really, really personal thing. A friend encouraged me to dig that out, um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and that first like eight months of the pandemic, I wrote a new draft of that and it came out like 260 pages long because I had a lot to get out because I'd been thinking about it for 25 years. And uh, then I went and made Old Man that took eight or nine months. And then, you know, up until about about uh, a few weeks ago, once I finished Old Man last like October, August or August, September, I finished that. I started, I did my second draft of this script and I finally feel like, uh, the reason I didn't make it as my second film was because I had had kind of a traumatizing experience making like such a personal movie like May in, in a, a, a Hollywood sort of a situation uh, that I, 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 just, I just kind of freaked out and I just stuffed it in the drawer and I didn't want to, I didn't want to put that on that chopping block until I could find myself in a situation where the thing could be protected in the right way and I could make it the way I felt like I needed to make it. And, you know, in, in the 20 years that it's taken to get to the point where I feel like I can make that happen. Uh, I've lived a lot of life, you know, I've, I've gotten married. I have a kid now and it, it really changed my perspective. So this new version is kind of the best of what had existed previously, but really, you know, uh, I was pulling a lot from me kind of dissecting how I grew up and, and, and what kind of, environment I grew up in and the kind of fucking weirdos I grew up around and stuff like that. And, 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 and trying to tell a dramatic story with that. It's not, it's not like straight autobiographical by any means, but it's very, very based in where I'm from. And it's the, you know, uh, rural, that real rural, uh, country setting, Northern California. Um, so I'm working on that and I'm, and I think I'm like one polish away from starting the, you know, process of actually making that film. So, that's really exciting because Sweet. it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, it's one of those movies you have to make before you die sort of thing, you know? And if, if at any point in my career, someone said you can make whatever you want, <laughs> you know, uh, 
and no one will fuck with you. What do you want to make? This would be it, you know? So I'm trying to like make that, make that become a reality, you know, but it's taken me a lot of time to gather the skills I thought I needed to gather in order to do it and also have the emotional fortitude to deal with it because it is very personal. And I had worked on it over the years, several times I'd pick it up, I'd rewrite like half of it. And then I would just, just realized I was getting depressed every day because it was digging up a lot of, a lot of stuff that was just fucking me up, you know? Um, but I don't know, I guess I've lived enough life to where I've, you know, got to a place where I was okay with confronting a lot of that stuff. So, um, so working on that and, uh, and then some other things, you know, coming up this year, maybe some television work and stuff like that, but nothing I can really talk in too much detail about. Uh, and where can people follow you on social media to keep up with your upcoming projects? Twitter, Twitter's largely where I where I hang. I don't I don't look at. You probably notice that I don't answer my answer my Instagram messages very fast. I don't, <laughs> I don't have that connected to my email or anything, and I don't I don't check it every day. So, um, Twitter is the Twitter is the best place. And I'm, I'm I'm on Twitter more than any of those other ones. I don't really use Facebook that much anymore, and um, Instagram kind of here and there more just to see what my friends are up to, you know? Um, but Twitter's the place. Somebody wants to like ask me a question directly or something. And what is uh, your Twitter handle? It's just at Lucky McKee. All lowercase. And uh, we want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, it was great getting to right talk on, to you about, about a movie we've been fans of for years now. Um, I gotta admit, I'm a little disappointed. I thought you guys are going to be smo- <laughs> I thought you guys are going to be smoking weed the entire time we were talking. I think we've only or done that once. Yeah, <laughs> once. <laughs> You're like slipping gummies the whole time. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, it was awesome talking to you guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, and ho- hopefully you uh, you're able to finish that script and get get that movie made. And we we'd love to have you on again to talk. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll be doing uh, Old Man's coming out in the fall sometime. So um, maybe around that time, if you guys want to talk again, we could do that. Do that when I'm doing the rounds trying to promote that sucker appreciate it hell yeah man sounds good hell yeah cool all right well uh yeah thanks for being on our show we really appreciate it man right on guys okay we'll talk to you later thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in and thank you to lucky mckee again for joining us today uh, we definitely look forward to the old band coming out. And uh, like I said, May is a is a treasure of the early 2000s horror. And uh, join us next week. Uh, we'll have a special review for you on Censor. Uh, Drew, Drew is a big fan of that, got me to watch, and I enjoyed it as well. We'll talk about that in the video nasties. Love that movie. And uh, make sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at High on Horror 420. And you can always check out our website, highonhorror.com. And you can email us from there at highonhorror420 at gmail.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter to get the newest episodes and guest announcements sent directly to your inbox. And uh, I guess we'll see you next week. I don't have anything else. You got anything? Nope. All right. See ya. Oh, well, you beat me to it this time. Catch (laughs) you later.